Welcome to Thirsty Smurfing Thursday. How's everybody doing? My name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the Grass Factor. Sometimes I go by anti-commie. Uh, sometimes I'm anti-collectivist. Uh, don't did I say that out loud? <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I just got out of the shower, so trying to trying to cool off here. What are what are some uh, what are, what are some other things I can throw in there that would be uh, quasi offensive to? Uh, why don't you the, just uh, why don't you just go ahead and hands? do the whole the uh, the, the pre show from uh, the previous burn return? Just we'll just play that for me. <laughs> can, we, can we jump to that? Please it's, make that our funny. jump. If we ever go off the rails and you really need to like ascend back up out of the gutter, we'll just dump uh-huh. that. That'll be our uh, yeah. our primary. Just have a button ready, J Pink. Yeah, it it launch into it. You know, if we, you are, we started the show, Patreon member, you'll 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 know all about it. Go ahead. Uh, you remember we started the show with the uh, with the cut from um, oh, what's his nuts? Oh yeah, yeah, Bill O'Reilly. With... <laughs> Can we play that right now? <laughs> uh oh, Matt died. Matt Look at that. Die. I the the uh the internet Xi Jinping just, just canceled your internet. He did. We'll do it live. <laughs> Where's my hammer and sickle? Um no, no, no. Anyway. Can, can we watch the video? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, we can we can watch the video. I don't care. No, no, uh, no. The 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 Bill O'Reilly, the the band plan. That's tomorrow. Oh, and that is it for us today. Oh. Is this it? Okay, I don't know what it, oh, whatever it is, it's not right on the teleprompter. I don't know what that oh. is. I've never seen that. No. Yeah, sorry, I don't have the band. We'll watch it at the end. I'll we'll watch it. We'll watch it at the end. It's still good. We'll watch it at the end. It's still good. Um. Anyway, spe- special episode. We've got we have uh, guests of honor tonight. Uh, and yeah, right. this this will be the uh, officially today. This will be the youngest uh, guest we've ever had on the show. Uh, True. We have um give 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 us give us a little rundown let's go ahead and bring him in give us a rundown because there are so many questions i have um and i know that over the phone you've given us a little bit but when who what when where why when when did it hit you in whatever or wherever it hit you when you were like man i really think i gotta i gotta do the turf it didn't really hit me. Um, so graduating high school, I worked at a, like a burger place, if that makes any sense. Like it was like a little tiny, like burger shack restaurant. And, um, mm-hmm. I did that for three years. And I, I mean, you guys probably understand you graduate high school, like you want to do a little bit more. So not work at a restaurant. Um, so I had a, guy that my dad backstory my family um owned uh, a john deere dealership here in town um it was like four generations deep so i've kind of been in the green industry my whole life just yeah on the equipment side of things and um there was a customer of my dad's and he was looking to hire um some like a turf tech pretty much and so got a job doing that and that's kind of what opened the door for me That Funny how that is, works out. And then it yeah, just that, catapulted. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah. it's 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 interesting how how that shift occurs, and uh, and then all of a sudden you caught the bug, and then and then you're like, damn it, I got to do the damn thing. So, yeah. uh, Jason, uh, tell us about yourself. What do you do right now? What are you doing? What is your uh, what is your your current state, uh, one year state, and five year state look like? 
Wow. So currently I work at a, uh, a pretty big landscape company here in town. Um, I, I don't know exactly what my title would be kind of like a turf manager, I guess. Um, I'm the head guy at where I'm at. Um, so that's where I'm at now. One year plan. Hopefully I'll be out of the two year program at, K at um, Penn state. So that's the one year plan, five year plan. I'd like to be doing something in sports turf. That's definitely right. what I want to do. So All right. let's hope that works out. If not, I guess I'll just, I'll go be homeless and live on the side of the street. I don't know, but that's the plan for now. No, no, I've no, actually no. got a really nice refrigerator box. You can come join me. We can, we can split rent. <laughs> Demay, Demay is our, uh, uh, sports turf extraordinaire. Um, what draws you to sports turf? Are you, are you an athlete, former athlete? Um, is, yeah. that, is that part of the draw? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I played soccer since I was like three years old and played some basketball. Um, but Ooh. growing up really played on good fields, if that makes any sense. They were always terrible. Um, big two foot right. holes, you know, in the middle of a, of a field and stuff like that. And so it always irritated mm -hmm. me growing up, like having to play with somebody that didn't care about the surface. Um, and it, I mean, it still does. I, I don't live far from, uh, there's some sports fields that are like a half mile from my house. And I ride over there quite frequently and they're, they always look terrible. And so it just, it, it just irritates me just so deep that people don't care. And I don't know, I want to do a better job than what other people do. So, and I want to hopefully try and impact some people in a better, in a better way. I love it. And, you know, I would say, um, uh, what, what, what would you call that? I, I'm, I will say it's, there's going to be multiple points from here moving forward where you're going to reach real existential crises. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll call it that. I call them midlife crisis crises. Uh, I guess, I guess a more technical term or accurate term would be, uh, would be midlife crises. And I think a lot of it too is, um, uh, you know, come, come into grips with the fact that, uh, the, the, I mean, we just parlay right into that quote you shared last week, Demay. I mean, that is the, yeah. that, that is, that is the existential crisis of turf in a nutshell. Right. And like, you know, I, I love, don't, I guess what I'm trying to say is that don't ever lose sight of that fervor of wanting to leave a lasting impact. Right. Like, because yeah. you're going to go through days where it just feels like there is uh, nothing positive going right. And it may last months. It may, it may last three weeks. It may, it may last. That's been this day. week. Yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> this I, week has I, been rough. I promise the older you get, the more, uh, it, it, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, it's a perceived crisis in your youth. Right. And then as you get a little bit older, you, you realize you're like, actually that wasn't such a big deal. And then when you get older and it happens and you're like, fuck man, I am, I'm damn near 40 years old trying to get myself out of this like i don't have a whole lot of time left and so it becomes it becomes a self-imposed crippling of sorts that uh that that begins to happen so uh, i guess where i'm going with this too is uh is take advantage of every opportunity that comes your way uh don't be scared of making mistakes because there's there's always good things that can happen on the flip side and uh you know it's always a, a calculated risk to reward ratio but you know 
however it shakes out is how it shakes out. Demay, uh, here we've got we've got young Buck wanting to get into uh, into into sports turf. Um, I'm curious what what's your train of thought when you hear that, and uh, what uh, I don't know. I'm curious to hear what questions you have and all that fun stuff. Oh boy, uh, I mean, well, uh, there's a lot I think about going into sports turf, especially off the bat. There's a lot of great opportunities out there. Uh, no matter where you go and what you want to do, I think that everybody automatically thinks sports turf and they think, you know, major league ball field or, you know, working in an NFL stadium, MLS, something like that. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that they're just like what you said, you know, Jason, at the beginning here is um, it's that. And it's also, you know, parks and rec fields, it's high school fields, middle school fields, you know, things, things where, you know, kids coming up have, uh, you know, a field to play on and, that field is going to directly impact, you know, maybe how good they can get, how much fun they have, if they get hurt or not, like, you know, real palpable things, real important things. And probably, you know, um, I would say what drew me uh, to it is, uh, and maybe it has the same thing you said, you talked about impact, you know, um, yeah. you know, a, a good day when I was in the golf business, a good day was 150 people got to enjoy you know, what, uh, what me and, and the other guys on the crew did, you know, uh, and there was some point, uh, I don't know, 10 or so years ago where I thought, man, that's, that's cool, but it's not cool enough anymore. You know, that, that edge was lost. And so, you know, that was uh, one of the reasons I moved and it's interesting to hear you say that, especially at such a young age. And, you know, so I went to a place that had, you know, thousands, literally more than thousands, hundreds of thousands at that location and millions literally of people that played at all our facilities, you know, so a good night there, uh, a good day there was, you know, five, 10, 15,000 people having a good time because of what we did. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's, that, that's important. So I think, you know, having a purpose, um, having a purpose is really important. I mean, I, I would say this to any young person, Starting out, and I do want to, I do have some questions, but I just want to say this real quick is that, you know, I think in the beginning when you start doing this, and I think back, you know, to my, my time when I was young, and, and this is what I, I knew I wanted to do this from the jump. There was a little period where I thought I didn't, and I got talked back into it by some, some good people in my life, some family members and other things like that to, hey, go try it and do it and whatnot. But, um, you know, I think the number one thing here is you have to have a purpose, right? Uh, if you have no purpose of why you're doing it, you ain't going to be in it very long. And if it's, if your purpose is to get rich or make money, uh, hand over fist, well, <laughs> you know, you might have to move to South Carolina and be the lawn barber or something like that. I don't know. Um, after that, so purpose is number one. Number two is confidence, right? So it's important that you work for people that will help you live out that purpose every day or as many opportunities as they can give you. Cause it's not going to be every day that you're motivated to do what you want to do or inspired to do what you want to do. And that's the mark of a professional, somebody that can go out and do it in spite of maybe not being inspired or that, you know, uh, feeling it, so to speak that day. But I think with confidence, it comes down to working for somebody or a group of people that, uh, want to help you get better so that when you go out there, I mean, think about your first day at work, right? you you go into a place and first time you hopped on a sprayer or whatever piece of equipment was, you're probably like, Oh shit, man, I hope I don't break this. I hope nothing bad happens. Right. And without that, that confidence, day. yeah, we all do. And it doesn't, it, you know, you're not a human being if you don't feel that. 
but you get more and more confident. Sometimes you get overconfident. Sometimes you make mistakes and do things dumb. I mean, we've all been there too, but confidence. So if you have purpose and you have confidence, you will do good things, right? I think the, yeah. you know, you can go on from there and, and, and do things, um, you know, of mastering your craft and things like that. And I think those are the people that we speak to. And the last part, you know, the, the, the highest level, I think it doesn't matter what you do, but especially in this industry is, you know, you got to give back and, and really what the mark of, I think, uh, the highest level of leadership in this profession is making others better, right? You're always going to have people that you have to lead, whether it's by position, title, or just your influence within an organization or an employer or whatever. And if you're not making other people better, even if you're not in a leadership position, you're not trying to help somebody do better. And that doesn't always have to be your, your staff or your employees. It could be your customers, it could be your vendors, whatever. If you're not doing that, I don't know, you're, you're not all the way there yet. So a lot to think about, a lot to dive into, but, uh, tell me NC state, how did you go from working at the dealership to, you know what, I want to go in this two-year program and see what this is all about. Well, I never worked at the dealership. Um, it was just like growing up as a kid, you know, I always hung out inside of there, hanging out with my mom or my dad. Um, and just kind of watching like landscapers come in and doing stuff like that. But um, I don't know it ever since when I got my first job uh, coming up on three or four years ago, I don't remember um, being a turf tech. Um, it was, it, it was a good time. Um, I enjoyed it, but um, I, I always kind of wanted to do a little more than just that. Um, so I started looking around trying to find a school. So I kind of, I had narrowed it down to NC state, Tennessee and Penn state. Um, and just for Matt real quick, there you go. You know, I, I had to rep it. I had to bring it down just for Matt, but, um, don't encourage him. Yeah. So I, it feels like 98 in here, baby. Jesus. <laughs> T Martin's like 50 years old. <laughs> I couldn't leave and go to Tennessee. Just it, the job I had at the time, um, I liked it a lot, and I would have felt really bad if I left. Um, so, kind of had to cross Tennessee out because they didn't have an online program. So it was narrowed down to NC State and Penn State. Um, of course, NC State that would have been like the easy go because it's in in state. It'd be cheaper. They have an online program. It'd be pretty simple. Um, but I don't know. I started watching videos of Dr. Kaminsky over at Penn State and um, yep. started reading. I think it's the tech. The textbook is called Turfgrass Management. I think it's just what it's yep. called. Yeah, 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 yeah. And started reading yep. that two years ago. And um, it had me hooked. Uh, that was like the God, coolest I remember thing. those days. Ah. Yeah. And ah. so I was like, man, I want to go to school for this. But I never I hadn't told my parents at the time. I hadn't told any of my friends. Nobody knew it was just kind of like something I wanted to do. And I was going to community college at the time and I, I hated it. Like it was not fun at all. It, it just felt like I was kind of, you know, like when you're swimming and you're just kind of like treading water and it doesn't feel mm -hmm. like you're making any progress and you don't know what you're doing. It was pretty much that. And, um, basically decided, yeah, I want to go to Penn state. And so hadn't said anything and I, I'll say it on air. I don't really care. I, I screwed up a lot at community, community colleges pretty much gave up like, you're fine. It wasn't fun. Like I said, I didn't enjoy it. it. I thought it was stupid. Some of the classes I was having to take just to get like a basic associates in applied science pretty much gave up. Um, got in a lot of trouble for that. 
mom and dad didn't like that too much, but um, somehow <laughs> ended up offering them to let me go to Penn State. I don't know how I pulled that one out of my career <laughs> end, but did that and then coming up on it. I'm finishing up my second semester there, and it's like the coolest thing in the world. I love it. So, um, what what I like specifically about that too is that you know the all right the the first the core classes you know that you that you have to take like at community college or any any four year university those core classes are so many of them are just hot garbage it's like man this is a gigantic waste of time and you're you're ushered yeah. in there like elephants in a zoo and it's chaos and no one gives a shit and, you know 50 60 kids in there everybody's staring at a projector and uh a, a ta at the front of the room that no one wants to hear speak and all right like ah, it's about beer 30 i would really really love to get out of here and then you know it's it's hard to get into now as you get more into specific courses like enrolling and you're doing you're doing the uh the the two-year penn state program the associate's degree yes sir yeah i'll probably so, go into a four year after this but what's great about it is that so much of the of the, uh, the 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 core the base curriculum you know is is bypassed and you go immediately into what's actionable right the shit that you yeah. want to learn that you need to learn that's going to have the real lasting impact what I what I like about doing it that way and then enrolling into into getting your four year degree is that all of a sudden what you'll learn in the two year degree is what is going to be most important what your gaps in education will be. Uh, so that way, as you move towards a four-year degree, you can make sure to fill those gaps and what you lack that's currently holding you back uh, and, and and fill them in with things that will actually be applicable rather than, you know, well, it says I got to take this English class, so I'm going to take this English class, right? You know, like thinking back, if I had to do, do it all over again, you know, how much more time I would have spent in chemistry versus what i actually did spend in chemistry right like i learned way more in ap chem in high school than i did in chem in college right and uh really man if, if i oh yeah without a doubt if i had to oh, do it all Lord, over again oh, you know i would have oh. gone way further into into chem but probably way further into organic chem too and uh mm -hmm. i didn't take organic chem in college and i i did you didn't have, have to, to right? do i had to do a fair amount of organic chem in in high school uh, ap chem so you know, it's you, you you recognize things like that as you as you move through that accelerated program and get your feet wet. And especially now that you're out in the field, like, again, I, I keep pointing at chemistry so much so because it's a lot of what I use in my day job now. Uh, but like stoichiometric conversions, right, of converting yeah. between units and all of a sudden it's it's saving your ass because oh man i remember doing that yeah so it makes it easy sweet i figured <laughs> out how to solve that problem you know simple thing your know, ratios mm -hmm. you know that that came from you know whatever math class it you're like hey i need to brush up on that well perfect i can take that class here in my in my four-year degree get brushed up on it and it's going to make a lot more applicable sense to me as, as 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 i move on through my career right and i think in my opinion I think that is a way smarter way to go about it. And I think also what you're doing, and this is what I wish I would have done, is worked in the industry from the get-go, gotten my feet wet, and then gone back to it. Because I, I, I swear, like, uh, for instance, community college-wise, I ended up going back and uh, uh, getting, like, Rainbird certification in, uh, at a, a local place in, in Memphis that I was at. And it was so fun, like, how much more engaged I was then versus when i was 18 right because 
I had field experience and now getting to see the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the design side of it and understand why this goes here, why that functions that way, what my flow rates need to be, what my pressures need to be. It's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then I'm thinking about, you know, some system I saw out there that is just leaving monumental gaps in coverage, right? That I can start putting together <laughs> like, oh, all right. Now I know not just how to fix it from the standpoint of like, oh, you know, changing a head, changing a rotor or whatever. But it's like, uh, now I need to make the modification that, uh, uh, you know, I need to uh, adjust my nozzle size right here in order to get, you know, distance that's actually going to be able to reach that head. Uh, or yeah. you know why we need to close off this 360 in the middle of the yard because it makes no sense for it to be there with uh, with the, uh, <laughs> the the nozzle that it has in it, right? And so, anyway, little things like that become more and more apparent. And so, in in, in my opinion, and with my personality type, uh, I think what you're doing is actually the. I wish more people would do it that way, and I think more people would have successful college careers. But even more so, I think they would get more fulfillment out of secondary education. Um, well, I'll and- say this. I wouldn't change like w- what I'm doing now. I, the way and the way I did it, I wouldn't change a single thing. Um, like you said, I feel like it's best if you go and work in the industry and you like, when I tell you what I started off out as it was a guy that helped the tech pull a hose. That's what I started out as. We, helped them. We all did. Pull a hose. Yes. Yeah. Helped them pull a hose. Helped them. I reeled the hose back up, put the flag in the yard, you know, filled out the paperwork and watched. That's what I did. And, you know, I, I went from that to where I'm at now. And that's the way. And like I said, in my opinion, that's the way to do it, because you start at the lowest point and you just build from there. And it makes school a lot easier. And I mean, it also makes it easier if you enjoy what you do and you have like a just complete. uh OCD thing about regarding everything in regarding turf grass. Um, but if you can start as just the grunt and work your way up, you learn a lot of stuff as you go. So once you get to school, it's like, well, Hey, I've already heard this or I've done been doing this for a couple of years or, you know, for example, but it's just, it, it is, uh, it's definitely the way to go. And like you said, I, I wouldn't change it one bit. Um, I feel like if you went to school, and then you started out in the industry after that, it would just be a complete culture shock because like you'd walk yes. into a tech room and, and you'd hear people just like spouting off stuff and you have no idea what was going on. And you just graduated from <laughs> school. That was, that was my literal experience of when I yeah. walked into true green and, and I was like, what in the world is going on? And then reality sets in that, you know, I'm a number behind a badge right now. And no one in here knows my name, and I've got to figure out how Hotshot Me is going to be known by name rather than a number. How can I become an asset rather than a liability? Where can I land on the P side of the profit and loss statement? Right? How how how, how do I how do I add value? How do I how do I uh, establish individual value? Right? How can how can I stand out? And and it's by like you said. It's that obsession, right? You have to become obsessed and you have to become dedicated and you have to be motivated and you have to love what you do. And if, if all those things fall into place, then what I love specific about this industry is that it's an incredible one, incredibly easy one to work your way up in, right? You talk about, you know, starting out pulling hose. I don't forget Chester was the guy I rode with first pulling hose who was a, uh, a 30 year tree shrub vet. 
uh, of, uh, of, of triggering and had built a very nice career for himself and put two girls through college and had a, a nice life and a nice marriage and a nice house at two houses. And, um, it was just an OG Drew Green guy, man. You know, ran around every day, uh, you know, pulling hose, spraying trees and shrubs, and was probably one of the best uh, uh, tree shrub guys in uh, in the in the state of Tennessee, I'd argue. Um, and I, you know, and let me tell you, like the kind of guy Chester was, right? And and this definitely had one of those aha impact moments on me. Uh, maybe not for the same reason, but it, it made me realize like how, how vested in what he did, um, uh, how, how vested in what he did. He was, uh, you know, tragically Chester collapsed on a yard, spraying a yard, uh, had lost all mobility from his waist down, um, uh, called nine one one. And he, uh, he had was was so advanced in in his cancer that it had actually uh moved into his spine and uh it was you know it, it paralyzed him right it's as if he had had a broken spine and uh and he lived for like a few days after that and and passed away really quickly and uh hopefully painlessly in that and um but you know what it what what it showed me was that and there's going to be some people that say you know uh you're, you're an asshole you know you know, what what kind of psychopath would would give their life to a company or whatever? And it's not the fact that he gave his life to the company; it's the fact that um, he he died doing what he loved, right? And uh, and he from from the day I first worked there, where I was pulling hose from him until uh, the the day you know he he left the earth. The guy was always just showed me the most respect, only wanted to help, would answer any question I had was the kind of guy that when you rode around with him on the truck would just point out stuff as you're driving by that only someone who had been doing this for 30 years would know how to do. And it inspired me to want to have that same level of passion and dedication and work ethic that, that he did. And, uh, and that was, that was one of those pivotal moments for me. And, it, and, you know, people talk shit about, about triggering all the time. We can criticize them for whatever, you know, the situations they get into, but, I, I will say is that, you know, if it, if it weren't for that culture shock of going into it, um, and if it weren't for, uh, the people and mind you, you know, this is, this is 2008, 2009 when, uh, the housing market crashed and everyone lost their job and there was no job to get and true green was hiring. And so there was all these relatively new people that were not from the industry that were kind of showing up at the same time. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's war at that point, you know, survival of the fittest and it's, you know, who can generate value the fastest and, um, and, you know, being in that environment, um, and, and, you know, looking who had been there the longest and trying to mimic them, uh, you know, was, was, uh, was pretty, pretty incredible. There's a long story to say is that, you know, and it, it doesn't if you're going to work for a landscape company or a spray company, if you can show initiative, even as a W-2 employee, there was always room to grow. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, and I feel like that the time grow in this company, is, in, this, in this industry, is small uh, compared to a lot of other places where you may have to actually wait until someone, your, your senior retires or dies before you get your next <laughs> opportunity at moving up, right? Um, here it's, it's uh, passion goes so much further in this industry than even capability does. Um, 
and uh, and, and, and part of that's just the state of the workforce right now. But uh, the the other part of it too is that I think there's I would say ninety percent of business owners in this country recognize that uh, uh, passionate people just fucking care more, and uh, and those those are the people that you want to protect and nurture and have on your side and uh, provide all the assistance in the world to because they care about helping themselves. Therefore, I want to invest in you helping you. And, uh, and you know, again, as a business owner perspective, I would hire a thousand times right now passion over any other skill set that a human being has. Um, well, I'll say know, this, like, like everything else, the, I found and you could call it a hack, like if it makes any sense, but I found, um, from the first day I started doing at, at the previous company I had worked for, the first day I was there, I kind of figured out like just from being around people, um, not many people completely care about what they do. It's just a nine to five. So they just show up or not really a nine to five in this industry. It's like six to three or six to four, but um, they just show up, they do their job and they go home and that's it. And I figured out real early on that if you can put one more percent of effort into your day-to-day operation and you do that over every day, you will just, you'll exponentially grow faster than others. And, you know, and like I said, you can call it a hack, but once you kind of figure that out, if you just care just a little bit more than others, you can progress pretty quickly, you know? And the nice part about like what you said, the green industry is that no matter if you're running a lawnmower, if you're on a hose, if you're on a machine, it doesn't matter. If you just care, you will automatically progress because there's not many people that care anymore, at least from what I've seen. Maybe it's just people my age, but um, if you just if you just put an effort, I mean, you'll grow and you can pretty much do whatever you want. I've, I've come to figure that out pretty quick. and and. I don't know. I don't know if it applies to your generation or not. It, I think it's just mine because most people are lazy, but yeah. False, I, it's it's, it's one of those things like it, my, my take on the, and Ray is obviously a different generation. Ray is Gen X through and through what my, the way I, I feel like with the people that I've worked with through my, through my career is um, I, I, Gen X is probably the most rugged, hard ass people that are out there. Uh, m- millennials, especially the the later millennials, you've, you've got the zennials, which you know I would be kind of like mid Gen Gen X and and millennial, where uh, you know c- computers and internet didn't really start showing up until like you know, sixth grade, seventh grade. Uh, so you know we still had to do a lot of face to face interaction, but learned you know kind of the, the the dark side of the internet pretty pretty swift, right? Because you know we were the young keyboard warriors at the time, right? And uh, and then. So kind of got a nice balance of both worlds, but the the later end, you know, is is where you're starting to see the. Uh, I, I, I'm not meaning to go here, but the uh, the 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 products of of the implementation of No Child Left Behind coming along, and uh, and 100 percent agree, 100 percent agree. It's, Everybody's it's, a winner, right? And it and you you kind of see that work its way over to the into the into the into the market, right? Where you know you have to adjust the way you talk, the 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 way you structure challenges, and uh, the way to encourage motivation. All of that kind of shifted, right? And so I would say, in terms of of just absolute ruggedness, you know, Gen X was 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 the pinnacle. 
um, uh, millennial, you know, is going to lose percentage points on top of that. And then Gen Z is going to lose percentage points on top of that. And so I, I think the, the trend is this way. I don't think it's a steep decline. I think the, the rhetoric of, you know, the, uh, you know, millennials are foobard or, or Gen Z is foobard. I think all that's hyperbolic. Um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, we're, we're not going to approach that. And I think every prior generation says that about, about the next younger generation. And, uh, but, uh, at the, and at, at the same time, you know, I, I don't think anybody would deny that hiring over the last 10 years has gotten progressively weirder. Um, uh, and I'm, I mean that from the standpoint of, uh, trying to, figure out the strategies of turning a B employee to uh, an A employee, right? Um, especially when money is no longer the motivating factor, right? And I, and I feel like as you stepped back in generations, you, you, money was the easier motivator than anything else. Um, and then as you've moved over to the younger generations, um, you, it, it becomes, becomes more and more challenging because money is no longer the motivating factor, right? It's, is some sometimes it's going to be work life balance. Sometimes it's going to be uh, paid time off. Sometimes it's extracurricular benefits. Sometimes it's access to um, a, a amenities on your corporate campus, right? And these are these are all things you hear. And, I, and I, I'm not saying it's it's because necessarily, I uh, you know, uh, Gen Z is is inherently lazy or whatever. I I think the shift in the approach to want to capture. Uh, 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 Gen Z and uh, later later millennials is is becoming uh, more more and more difficult um, just just because you know we we all came from different perspectives and, and you know trying to crack that code of you know where where when and I will say this when Ray and Ryan and I came up in this industry I mean it was it was brutal I mean we you know you it was it was as rough as it got. You know? I mean, people made fun of you left and right, up and down, and you know you 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 got your ass whooped, and they said horrific things about your girlfriend that you were dating at the time, or even when you were married. They said terrible things about your wife, and you know you got to laugh about it, and then you got to figure out how to joke back with them, you know, and they'll you know they'll threaten to hey. kill your dog or whatever else. Or I <laughs> I saw a guy literally pour a bag of lime into a service manager's jeep. Uh, jeep's gas tank one time um and uh, <laughs> you know it was it was really he didn't like what the guy that, said to him and so he poured an entire bag of lime into it and told him i did he's I, like i put I just like to point out bag of lime in your gas tank that was not specifically prohibited in the employee handbook therefore we're good <laughs> he did not get therefore, fired he walked right <laughs> in and he told larry he said larry <laughs> You can go F yourself and to ensure that you're going to spend the rest of the night F yourself. I want you to know I put a 50 pound bag of lime in your fuel tank. Have a good night <laughs> and left. And Larry was like, what? And, and, uh, sure Where's Chris he, Gibson when you need it. Damn it. <laughs> hey, you know what? The, the, the lime the is too, probably the least, uh, least horrific thing I can think of. Yeah. He said at least. And again, sugar. yeah. Then again, no. I got. I got to tell you, you know, Jason. I like the path that you're going. That you're going on. You know, get yourself educated. Uh, do not be what I call a luddite. In other words, always strive for better. And the reason why I say this is because, you know, as old as I am, 
I don't buy this statement of, oh, just because this is how it's always done, that that is the best way. Thank you, Ray. You know, I'm always looking, you know, I'm always looking for actual efficiency and to, you know, to that example, you know, whenever I hear somebody talk about rolling and unrolling hose, I got to cringe a little. You know that? Oh, Ray. I, I, just I know to... you have an affinity for the Lesko gun and the uh, 300 foot of uh, 3 8 hey, hose. Kim Long gun is awesome. 400 feet of hose. It's, all, it's the best. I've sprayed no. many, 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 many acres with it. And the blue nozzle, too. Yeah. The blue yeah, nozzle. I, then, I like the three gallon nozzle. But then here's the, green, the, green the white nozzle. Ready. But the white, like, but like, but like I said, uh, you know, I'm at, I'm actually about, as I said, actual efficiency, finding ways to get stuff done such that I'm not going to kill myself at the end of the day trying to do them. Because yeah. at the end of the day, nobody gives a fuck. I mean. You need to make it to the end of the day and w- wake up the next morning. Okay? Nobody gives a fuck. Such an inspiring <laughs> message, right? But it's who true. Is it? I saw someone on the internet one time. It was, it, was like a, it was like a clip that came on, and it was one of those that said, the market does not give a fuck about your feelings. And uh, I was like, you know what? Now that I think about it, you're right. Well, the market's the market. No, but, it, but does, that is it the, does not give yeah, a fuck but that, about that's, that's absolute truth. And so... My other message is that and what kind of distinguishes me from the boomers and the predecessors is what was ingrained in me is to always take care of yourself because nobody else will take care of you and nobody gives a fuck. Okay? Nobody cares. Well, okay. On on that So you gotta take note, care of yourself. <laughs> on that note of uh uh perseverance and self determination. Um, I guess my question would be, you know, you've seen this, you've read, you know, you've read these books. So from a, let's just say a work standpoint, what is the biggest, uh, either unknown or something that you're uh, scared is maybe a strong term, but like, what are you most curious about, I guess, from a work standpoint, and then we'll talk about agronomics here in a little bit, but Mm. just work, going to work, getting a job seeing yourself as a successful person in this industry you know 10 15 years 20 years down the line what is it that scares you or has you curious or worried i don't know pick your own adjective emotion that scares me trying to think um or something that i don't know i've um i would say the the one thing that That's a t- that's a tough question, Ryan. Um, that's why I ask him. Probably <laughs> trying to think. You know, I have a lot of fears. I do. Um, you and me both. It'd probably be falling behind, and falling behind seems really. Bad. Give me an example. No, it's not dumb. Not I don't know. I, your fears are not dumb. Nobody's here to yeah. invalidate your fears. Hell no. So what? What is? What do you mean Hell by no. falling behind? But well, like. To me, it it's kind of hard because um, 
or not hard really, but I have a, there's so many people in the industry, at least in the town that I'm in that I know that do this for a living and mm-hmm. they have 20, 30, 40 years on top of what I'm doing. And it's when I say falling behind, it, it kind of means like everybody is progressing and I'm progressing too. Um, you know, and sometimes I, I and I'm, I'd like to say I'm progressing more than them. Um, you know, at, at the rate that they're currently progressing, if, if that makes any sense. But mm-hmm. okay. uh, falling behind okay. basically meaning like they're continuing to gain knowledge and I'm just having to keep working and working and working and working to, to get to where they're at. Um, and I don't know, you'll sometimes be, it does. You know, so sometimes what? I'm sorry to interrupt you. I didn't mean that. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. It's just sometimes it, I get a little uh, overwhelmed with uh the amount of stuff that people come at like come and try and get me to do um or and kind of things like that and it can it, it sometimes it gets to me a little bit um they call that imposter you know, kind of like, syndrome mm-hmm. y- yeah or like another th- like one of the big things that um kind of worries me um i'll go into like a chem a, a chemical store and it's not the one that i go into uh now but it's it's like another one and Mm -hmm. um they'll look at me and they'll be like oh you're you're just 20 years old or you're just 19 years old you don't you don't know (laughs) stuff and so that that bothers me sometimes and i think i let it like over um over scare me a little bit because you know if i'm 20 years old now and everybody else is 40 50 60 years old doing this what's it gonna be like when i'm 40 you know but then i i don't know it's just a lot of it's kind of weird but no no it's not weird it's it's not not real Real not at all it bothers me it really does irritate me it irritates me a lot here's what here's what i'm gonna tell you first right you're gonna tell you you know what here's something that i've had to learn how to do over the years comparing myself to others yeah just stop it okay just stop it i mean and and for me it's about i don't care about what others are doing i'm disinterested what i care about is how do i do what i'm doing as best as i can how do i how do i do that you know never mind what everybody else, I mean, and in fact, uh, I get really short and abrupt when anybody brings up what other people do. I get super short about that. And that it's like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. If you love them so much, go to them. Bye. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people where I'm not interested. And, you know, the other reason why I bring this up is because you know what you see about what others are doing is not the entire story. Because for all you know, the people that seem to be doing more, they seem to be successful, bullshit. Their life is actually a shit show. Okay? Their life is actually a shit show. They're just putting on a real good appearance. Yeah. And so be very careful about what you see and then comparing yourself to what 
you see at that moment or snapshot in time and then say, why am I not like that? Why, why, why don't I have that? Because what you see is not the whole story. Yeah. It's not. That is very true. You, you know, yeah. You, you don't know. And, uh, so because, and on this whole, you, you being 20 years old and not knowing, Again, don't feel that way because, Jason, I literally know 60 and 65 years old people for whom I wonder, after dealing with them, how have you been in this business for so long and not know a damn thing? Okay, you don't know shit. I mean, your age has not made you learn anything because... You're stuck on doing things the same way, the same time, and not improving or doing better. And, oh, by the way, the reason why this age thing is kind of a sore subject with me is because I have the ability to perpetually look 20 years old. I shave all of this off, I'll look 20, okay? let me hear your feelings on this because boy i've got i've got all kinds of them because yeah i i think uh i live okay let me just start here is that uh i think uh, as i get older and i see more and more people that i know or see them from far away things like that that are uh either in this business or not in this business i think this business of turf whether you're in lawn sports golf whatever is a business of some of the most inspired, prideful, hardworking people that have an absolutely abysmal ability to define success of <laughs> mm. any industry out there. Mm-hmm. And I think yep. that I, I think that we try way too hard because we're so poor at that that we just want to work. We just want to work. We want to learn. We want to do. But we never ever sit there and define success. And we sit there and start comparing ourselves. And then we say, "Well, this is what I don't have." This is what I'm, I don't know, or what I, what I'm, I'm seeking or trying to find. And the funny thing is, and and I'll say this is that I've, I've learned this about myself a lot in the last 10 years is that the closer and closer you come, just like the quote we talked about last year, the, the bear thing, whether it's agronomic, whether it's professional family stuff, whatever, the closer and closer you, you get to what you think that that is, it either doesn't mean as much or it, it it's just not there. So I think thinking about what you think is successful and writing that down every year. And I think when you talk about, you know, you're so far behind, the other danger is thinking about all the things that you want to know and and all those kind of things and writing all those out. I would focus more on your capacity and your ability to focus in on what's important, your capacity to learn and your ability to focus on what's important, right? Because if you always have the capacity of, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go into this site one store or whatever. And I'm going to be curious because you know what? There is something I can learn if I walk in here and it might just be that this guy across the counter is a fucking prick, but at least I've learned something. Right. Okay. And so the other thing there from uh, the capacity to learn, always going in curious, there's always something you can learn. The other thing there too is, like I said, is, um, you know, if you can commit yourself to taking those opportunities and trying to learn something, you're going to be a lot better off for it. So I wouldn't say that you're behind. I wouldn't say that anything like that. You're just trying to rewrite a definition of success success that doesn't exist. 
because you haven't wrote your own definition of success, what that looks like, right? So I think in shorter bursts, you know, don't get too far ahead of yourself. And I will say that sports probably more than, definitely more than lawn care. You know, lawn care, at least you can have a revenue goal. You can have something like that. Golf, there's a little bit of that too. But sports is a lonely fucking business when it comes to success because the only thing you have really look forward to is maybe the off season. And the off season is getting a lot shorter for a lot of folks. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just think that, you know, you need to think about having yourself, giving yourself that opportunity to learn, being curious, and don't worry about all this other stuff, right? But that, and that ability to focus on what's important, that's a skill that you'll need over and over and over again, and especially if you ascend to a higher level, position, responsibilities, whatever, uh, you need that in spades because your time and everything else will be limited. You've got to have that ability to focus on what's important and discern, hey, this isn't important. I'm not going to focus on this right now. I got bigger things to do, more important things to do. So think about that. I'll listen to oh. Matt now. I can't wait for Matt. Oh, oh. all right. So f- first things first, Thank you, there's, it, 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 it's, I think part of it is that Southern culture of respect your elders kind of thing of, you know, <laughs> fuck that. Yeah, I, I, the, the number of times I've heard you say, yes, sir, already, you know, exactly how I was raised. I know what it's like to walk into a site one and it's a bunch of old heads in there and I'm super uncomfortable because I'm, I'm the kid. Right. And I know that they're like, who's this fucking kid in here? Why is he in here? Who does he work for? What's he buying? What does he know? He doesn't know a damn thing. And I, I start putting myself in that position. Right. And then the, the, the cyclone starts and then I'm spinning around the, the, uh, um, a tornado, so to speak. A couple of things I learned to overcome that, and uh, this, this goes back to when I was actually at Fairway Lawns, and I'll, I'll never forget having uh, my manager listen to me arguing with someone on the phone over uh, how, how adamant I was that I showed up at the property exactly when I was supposed to show up to the property. The guy, the guy was, it was an old mostly, man, wasn't it? He was old as hell. Yeah. And and, yeah. and and mostly blind, and I'm screaming at him that I'm going to, I, I will pull cell phone records to show you that I called you when I got to that property and nobody answered the phone. And, you know, he's like, don't do that. Just tell him to fuck off and hang up, you know? And, and you know, <laughs> is it okay if I do that? And it's like, yes, do not take that shit. Like, that's unnecessary. <laughs> it's not good for you. And, uh, and, you know, at the time, I didn't think it was possible. Parlay that over where now I'm in insight one and I'm trying to choose what I'm going to buy. And like one of the, the tricks I learned to help me overcome a, a lot of that anxiety that I get when I'm, when I'm put in those situations was learning how to say no. Uh, and so what I would force myself to do is go into site one, look at products that I don't normally buy and uh, ask, you know, sales rep, you know, what does this do? What does this do? What does this do? And, uh, and then at the end of it, when he goes for the clothes, it's like, you know, well, which, which, uh, what, what do you think you want, you want to grab that one today? And I said, no. And very <laughs> aggressively say no. And it would normally catch them off guard. And, uh, and then, but for whatever reason, like just that emphasis of saying no and not beholden and that I made a decision that that guy has no authority over it, put just that little extra chip on my shoulder that I needed to get through the rest of the day. The other thing yeah. I did is that when <laughs> I was out in the field, I would mm-hmm. go and still do. I go so 
hard when I'm in the field that if anybody works with me, anybody from the outside is watching me, that they are so freaked out at how hard I go from the moment I get to work until the moment I go home that it becomes overwhelming for other people. And it's overwhelming for me too. And I have to stay in this constant state of heightened panic. But I do to this day, to this day, I do that every day at work. And when you, you know, you, you hear about talking to people, uh, you may hear me about even, even, you know, uh, the, the, the difficulty of finding, you know, the right person to work with. A lot of that is because of me, you know, when, when I go that nuts the entire time, not a lot of people want to work around that. Like if that's, if that's what the owner of the company is doing, that means I'm expected to do that. And it's probably not going to be a good fit because that guy's a psychopath, but I, I carry that. And I want to carry that perception because again, back to my true green days, when I walked in and I thought, how am I going to differentiate myself amongst this sea of men? How am I going to stand out? The boy, how is the boy going to stand out as the leader among men at my age? And uh, it was like, clearly, they're way ahead of me on knowledge, but you know what they don't have over me? Is that I'm fucking tougher than they are. I'll pull more fucking hose faster, sweat harder, sweat more, cry at the end of the day when I get home because it fucking sucked, but they don't have to know that. But I'll do that each and every day, six days a week, 14 hours a day, and no one, no one in that company would ever, ever have the balls to say that, uh, you know, Matt just didn't have what it takes. And at that point, that erases mistakes, that erases knowledge, that erases ability, because what it comes down to is that what I took away from them, anything that they could ever critique because I go harder than they do. And no one could possibly question that. No. And I, I won't leave of, anything on the table. You got to work harder than everybody else. And you, and you have to. You, you have to. And it's, in, in, in my opinion, and again, just for my personality type and my weird mental illness that I, I live in, is that I, I have to be that way. And that is the only thing that keeps me sane in those situations, is that when I walk into that building, especially once I got a little age on me, right? So the difference between me being in a site one at 24 and, and being in a site one at 28 is that now I've got four years of doing absolute insane, horrific shit in the field to make sure that I've got food on the table when I get home from work kind of thing, right? Like uh, it, it took two years in self-employment of having to do the worst of the worst to uh, was it dog attacking you. Not a bug on my table, dude. Pit bulls coming after it. Um, <laughs> but but leaving just leaving it all out there, it was so much easier because you know after a year of doing, after two years of doing it, to look those people in the eye, and know and and believe and understand that not a person in this room could do what I could do. They may know more than me. They may be better off than me. They have may have more money than me. But gosh damn it, I'll work harder than every motherfucker in this room. Every motherfucker yep. in this room. And and it it takes time, but eventually that will become the superseding um, uh, aspect of of your personality that will override the fear. That will exude the confidence that will exceed the anxiety of having to deal with those situations and worrying about where you are, worrying about your progress, because 
again, it's, it's, it's one of those things, you know, they, some people say, you know, fake it till you make it kind of sort of deal. Right. And of course you hear some people say, you know, work hard, uh, don't work hard, work smart kind of thing. And I, I think, I think, you know, that applies to so many different personality types, right. That, but you have to find the right one for you. And again, for me dealing with that kind of, of anxiety and that kind of worry and that kind of fear, um, I took, I, I gave, I give the one thing that I know no one can ever take from me. And that's, that's a work ethic that will make other people uncomfortable, uh, extremely yeah. uncomfortable. And I, I, that becomes my, my badge of honor. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. I mean, that's just, uh, what you have to do because you know what, in this whole 20 year old kid, you know, persona of mine. Do you know what my least favorite question is when I'm dealing with people, Jason? Do you know what, what? ticks me off or triggers me? When I'm speaking it, it to can, somebody about their, when, about their lawn and landscape, and they ask me, okay, uh, so when is the crew of people going to show up to, to do this? Do you know what goes through my mind at that point? That you're going to fire them before you ever step on the yard? Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> or when I'm feeling magnanimous, I told them, you know what? You're looking at the crew. This is it. Right here. This is it. I mean, <laughs> because I, I, I think I have Napoleon syndrome. <laughs> I'm having imposter syndrome. I do too. And I'm I have six na- four, two hundred pounds. It's weird. No, I, I I have Napoleon syndrome. I mean that that that's my problem. I mean because they told me, oh, but you're gonna do the this and you don't have a crew of people. It's like, oh, fudge no. It's like no, this is it. I I am it, and I'm gonna get it done. I mean, <laughs> and. <laughs> And you know what? The the people over time they realize it's like, oh my god! It's like you get this done by yourself, and there's no finger pointing, there's no passing the buck. I mean, buck stops with me. You know that's my mentality. Buck stops yeah. with me. The bullshit stops with me. All of the, all the nonsense ends with me, and that's 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 just the how I how I work, and I think too like at age twenty something, I was already making the folks at Site One and Nutrient and Simplot and whatever fear me. God, that wasn't until my I would say no. They were already they yeah. were already afraid of me, but by the time I was twenty two or twenty three, they were they were afraid. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah that's they're, like they're, the, they're, they're, the, the, the thing that right now, uh, or not right now, the the thing um, that really just gets me going, like is just the the chemical side of things. Um, mm-hmm. So like. I wish you could see like here in my, I have a, I have a notebook right here, just sitting here. Um, mm-hmm. I have probably, I have 10, 15, 20 pages, just nothing but like 
every time I'd find the product or something, you know, I'll write it down, write down the active uh, mode of action, just things like that. And that's like the one thing that has just like made me go crazy over the last like year. Um, mm-hmm. I I try and take like a good pride, a bit good bit of pride to walk into a chemical store and look at a product. And the game I play with myself is to like, you know, walk up and I don't look at the active. I just like to look at the, the trade name and I try and spout it off as quick as I can that <laughs> and the, the mode of action. And that's what gets me. That's like the, that's like the one thing that, that is just like, um, the the coolest thing in the world to me, you know? And so like, like you said, when you walk into a store and you make people fear you, you know, that's like, um, I've had, I've had a couple of times where that's happened where I'll ask like some crazy intricate question and they'll kind of look at me like, what, did you just ask that? Or did you mean to ask that? Or how, how did that, how did that just happen? But, um, it's definitely, yeah, I, I definitely get where you're coming from with that, you know? And you, you have to yeah. use that. You have to use those little victories to override the fears. However, you have to figure that out is going to be up to you, the person. But it's it's that kind of little victory that you've identified right there. You've got to let that fucking rank higher somehow in your you've, brain. But the whole reason I work that hard is to be so tired at the end of the day. I'm too tired to worry about shit, right? Like, in the, in the, <laughs> yeah. I would be up all night just worried about whatever it is, you know, uh, uh, whatever decision I made or even just shit that bothered me about horrific things I did when I was younger or whatever that, that you know, I, oh, I disappointed my family and it keeps me awake at night, right? Well, if I just ground my absolute dick into the dirt is where I'm too tired to think about it because I can't keep my eyes open, then I'm not, not thinking about it all night, right? And then I can go to sleep and then I can get up the next day shake out the cobwebs a little bit. And it's like, okay, I got to go grind at work again, you know, and I get that opportunity to go into site one. I get nervous. There's people around. And, you know, maybe I talk to the guy in the counter in front of me and be like, man, I, I am seeing, I am seeing the holy shit out of buttonweed right now. What, what do you, what do you typically, what are you running on buttonweed? And I'll spit, you know, spell, yeah, I just, I put a little two, four D. I was like, oh God, two, four D. I'm like, man, no Florox beer in the tank. No, no spicing up. Change up an MSN, goes. man. That's the go-to. I know. Oh, yeah. You're a season market, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, man, yeah. You, yeah. Have you ever done MSM? You ever tank mix Celsius and MSM? Kind of a wild ass mix here, man. But it, holy smokes, it dings the hell out of hey, it. It does great for me. Ain't that shit like uh, that? That's, Let that yeah, be your, that's stuff. Your, to override that fear. Well, my yeah, problem is the, I don't say it. I, I just like, I keep it in my head. And so when they say something, I'll just kind of like go with it. And sometimes in the back of my head, I'll think like, man, this guy's kind of like a dumbass or like, why is he saying this? This is not true. You know what, Jason? I got to stop you. I got to stop you there too. Yeah. Because you know, this tendency to hold things in and not say things. I just don't want to be boastful or like know it all. That's It's not boastful. It's not boastful, man. But then I'm going to tell you about holding it in. Is let me explain to you, holding things in is self-destructive. It's going to eat you up inside, and it's going to come out in ways that will negatively affect your life. Okay? In other words, if if something's wrong, if you know something is wrong, and if you know you're right, it is not humble to sit on that and let somebody else be wrong. Because you see, there is nothing special about 
or privileged about being wrong or being ignorant. There ain't nothing privileged about it, okay? You understand? It's like, yeah. if you are right, you are right, and that is not being boastful or or arrogant. That's just how it is. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because, you know, I was raised to not say anything. You know that? I was raised to say not say a damn thing and to just go along and to always, you know, respect the various hierarchies and ranks and all that other bullshit. But you know what? That is what is wrong with this world. People stuck on hierarchies, ranks, and, you know, the past and, you know, precedents and whatever even though all of that is dead wrong. And so if something is not right, uh, I'm not going to feel horrible about, you know, saying something. And you know, I, I will not. And there's times when, again, uh, I will just say it. I don't care about what somebody else does or thinks because they are dead wrong. I don't care. You know, get out of here with that. <laughs> get out, Jake, you know? Jake said a, a, a couple of good points. He's saying right now, it's okay to not be confrontational until it's time to be confrontational. Uh, and I, I, I can tell you that like when I was younger, it was really easy for me to be quiet and just like, when you hear him, like, oh yeah. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, and I may even call a friend afterwards and be like, this moron that I just ran into is something extra. Um, <laughs> I do that all the, yeah. the, the older I get, the, the, the more problematic it becomes because I don't know how to shut up. Uh, there's, there's <laughs> no one that ever critiques me by saying, Matt, you don't share your mind enough. Uh, it's always, it's always <laughs> Matt, you need to learn how to shut up at some point. <laughs> and um and so you know finding that balance i think is just kind of a kind of an aspect of life that you're going to run into yeah demay yeah. you know it's especially you know coming up in in golf specifically like you did this is the other thing sports turf the importance of the team aspect jason did you play team sports i did yeah uh soccer okay. and basketball the 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 malleability to preserve the team may talk to me about that coming up in golf of oh, performing in a team environment mm -hmm. oh i mean uh, I, shit coachability I mean, malleability i'm kind of using all this interchangeable yeah 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 yeah, yeah 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 i mean i i think uh two things um one Lawn care is the only, the only discipline within turf grass management with which you can do it all by yourself if you choose. Uh, it pretty much any other level, golf or sports turf, by and large, ninety nine percent of the situations, you cannot do it alone, right? So from a a, a younger person's perspective. You have to learn how to function in an environment like that. And and I think, you know, the big thing, especially in sports and golf, that you can get caught up in, and it's very important to think about this, is, you know, there are a lot of big name places, right, that you can go. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those places, but 
I would caution anybody, Jason, you included, that people with whom you associate, work for, learn from are more important than the places that you may go and that you may have on your resume. So think about that as you, you know, you take your journey and think and and think about how, you know, you get out of the gate with this career that um you know, people before places. I think that's a really, really important thing because those people are ultimately who are going to drive you, motivate you, uh, make you want to do better, make you do things that, you know, I, I think back in my my career and, you know, granted, I've got a long way to go, but uh, I've worked for some awesome people, not at places that are all on the map or anything like that. But that wasn't the point. You know, um, the point was is to to learn from good people, be pushed right be coached hard and um man i can say that i was like i i i I, when i was your age didn't know how i responded best or what type of coaching or or any of that stuff i didn't play a lot of team sports growing up uh i wasn't that type of person and uh so as i as i got higher and higher you know within this business i got coached harder and harder and harder and the last boss i had um before I became completely unemployable, which is great, by the way. Uh, there is no greater or tougher boss to work for than yourself because you were always tougher on yourself than anybody else will ever be. But no one um, hates me like I hate me. The last, the last boss I had, though, was probably the hardest I've ever been coached by somebody else in my life, and it made me have a ton of confidence that I would not have had otherwise. So the point there is not about me. The point is about you is find those people. And, and, you know, when you go look for a job and you go you know, sit down with an interview, it is a two-way street, especially now, especially nowadays. Yes. But have Good that point. conversation, ask them tough questions. I asked you tough questions because I want to learn about you. I don't care if you can drive a fucking sprayer. I'll teach you how to drive a sprayer. I'll teach you how to calibrate. I'll teach you how to do all that shit. I want to know who you are as a person, as a man, what drives mm-hmm. you, what's going to make you get up out of bed at five o'clock in the morning to come start a 12-game homestand because guess what? We just had Taylor Swift in here. And we were lifting fucking flooring off the field till 4 a.m. And guess what? 8 a.m. Time to get out there and water the skin because the boys are back in town and they want to do fucking early hitting, you know, on the field. It's the way it is. Like, is is that is what's going to get, you know, the gumption, give you the gumption to get up and do something like that. So it's just, you know, like I said, uh, you know, the coachability part is huge, but the person that it's coming from is is even more important because. If you don't mesh with that person, if you haven't aligned with that person uh, and you don't trust that person, right, it's easy to get pissed off. I mean, there's there's so many times with uh, all my bosses, but two in, two in particular that I can think of that I would get pissed off at them all the time, right? But then when I cool down, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to either shut up and do it and I'm going to learn from it and maybe I don't realize it right now, but. I think those experiences are important. So uh, in the era of, you know, people that don't give notice or uh, either the transfer portal and all this other shit where it's easy to quit. Quiet quitting. I would say, yeah, quiet quitting. I would challenge you to find somebody. And even when it gets really tough, especially when it gets real tough, fucking dig in. Fucking dig in. Yeah. Now, one more thing real quick before I, 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 I'm not jumping off. I'm not going bye-bye or anything, but I do want to say something. I I, I have a question for you real quick. How do you learn best? Reading, doing, like rank these, rank these for me. Reading, watching a video, 
listening to a podcast or being shown and doing it? What is rank those four things for me in order of how you learn best? Is, can all of it be an answer? Because um, yeah, no, no, all of it can be. If, so I want to know: is if, reading if, number I, one or number four? Is podcast number number two or number four? You let you, you uh, rank them for you. I I'd say, and I'm not trying to be like uh, generic on my answer, but they they they're pretty much all all one to me because it. And the reason I say that is because if it's something I am just super into. Um, it doesn't matter how the information is conveyed to me. Um, as long as I'm into it, I'll pick it up. Whether, like you said, whether it's reading a podcast, watching a video, doing it, being shown how to do something. Now, let me, it, let it, me ask you this. Let me ask yeah. you this. Let me take it a step further. Would you, yeah. would you rather read something to learn it and then go out and say, okay, I'm going to figure out how to do this. I'm going to figure out how to apply these concepts, right, into what mm -hmm. I've just read and process that and, and put it all together, right? Or would you rather go do something and be like, okay, I've done this, but I don't know all the science behind it or understand all the pieces and parts that go into it. I'm going to try to unpack this from what I've seen and what I've done. Which one of those is, is more akin to your ideal learning style? Probably reading. Reading okay. definitely for sure. I have a yeah, okay. I got a ton of books and stuff. I just don't read, yeah. Perfect. Okay. So here's here's the thing. I could have easily just said, fuck it, we're gonna do this, but the consultant in me had to ask the questions and make you say it so everybody else could hear it. That's what I get paid yeah. gobs and gobs of money to do every single fucking day. All right. this exercise. I'm so how, into it right now. I'm going through it too. How entirely. much how much money have we made on super chat so far? Anybody know? Hundred bucks. More than, that. more than that. More than that. Four. Unless she needs to be cut off. off. I gotta pull up the. Uh... <laughs> okay, so here's here's what we're gonna do right now, for whatever we have right now and whatever we end up with at the end of the show, okay, whatever else everybody donates, we're gonna double that. And instead of a scholarship right now, we're not ready for scholarship season. That's that's three months from now. That's in Louisville. But for right now. We're going to take all that money and we are going to buy and send Jason some of our favorite turf books so that Jason can sit down and dive in and learn all this shit and come talk our ear off in Louisville in a couple of months. So whatever we make, <laughs> we'll double it. If we get $250, we are going to buy $500 for the books. I've got a whole bunch of good ones here. I was just reading over and seeing if this one was any good. One of my favorites right here, Turfgrass Fundicides, Rick Latin. Great dude. Oh, you can't see any of that because it's all blocked out by the goddamn green screen. But there's some really, really good books. But textbooks are expensive. So look at that. Weed Science, Practices and Principles. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Well, that looks like a good I'm book. I'm going to get the, the Purdue. Well, this, uh, is a, this is a classic. Uh, and I'm going to show my age because this sucker is old. Ooh, 1991. <laughs> Man. <you could> <laughs> That's before Rachel Carson wrote be Silent Spring. More years. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. it's like 1991, right. and uh, holy shit, is right. The okay, even though it's old, the principles <laughs> and the basic science is all Wicked is all there. Sick. 
I mean, and in fact, uh, I've had other people ask me, okay, what should they start reading to understand why? Oh, and shit. that's one of the books that I point at. What the <laughs> <hell>? <laughs> get, get ready. Got him. Are boy. you ready, Jason? Are you ready? Got him. <laughs> Got yeah, him. Good, good thing I scored high on my English test in high school. Good for Listen, you, man. I, I'm, I, I am, I am exactly like you. Lushy. I, I had, a, I had a feeling that you were going to be like this. I'm exactly like you. I'm a voracious reader, and I have to read yeah. as much as I can, and then go figure it out. Like if I try to go figure something out, I'm just like, I mean, I'm wasting my time. I'm tripping over stuff. But if I can put it together in my head, like so, I have. There are way more books than we'll have money for, but we can get you started with a good. <laughs> A good starter library, you know, mm -hmm. of uh, some really good books. There's a Sports Fields book. Uh, it's by Mike Goatley yeah. uh, out of Virginia Tech. That's that's probably the premier text on that. Uh, Turfgrass <laughs> Chemical and Soil Problems is the Bible on everything to do with fertility. We'll definitely get you the mm -hmm. Ricky Waterton and Caro book. Uh, you've already got um, Kaminsky's book and Altersian's book. The Purdue Professional. Uh, Weed Control for uh, Turfgrass Professionals by Purdue uh, is a fantastic text. And it's it's part textbook, part it's got all the chemicals, all the labels, all the modes of action for herbicides. You will love that book. You will probably dive right in. That's a great one to keep in the crapper and just kind of, you know, leaf through a little <laughs> bit. You know, when you're doing your business, it all comes, also comes in PDF. So if you want to search through it, it's good. Lots of good books. So again, for the folks, uh, we got to get a subscription to a journal too. Um, a good. Oh, you don't even need to do that. that. He can. He can. He can go through. You have a journal thing you have a, to, uh, or not? I have a scholarly no, no, no. Uh, membership through school that I can look up. I was going to say anything. If he's at Penn State, he can go to the library. And anybody mm -hmm. else that's interested in that, like if you want to get on access, if you want to access Wiley oh, online or uh, any of the other ones, highly recommend. Just go get a library card and. Pretty much, if you have a library card, you can go through EBSCOhost or WorldHost and get pretty much any journal article you ever want to get. And for all of you folks that don't can't get access to a paper or something like that, I would say 90% of the time, if you email the author, they'll be like, yeah, here, take it. Go for it. Fuck those people <laughs> that want, want you to pay $40 for it. Holy shit. God damn it, Lushy. Thank you, <laughs> He's had a couple BS. He's going to go back, look, it's going to be yeah. like the day after the strip club, and he's going to go back and look at that credit card statement and be like, Ooh, that's a lot of books. Ooh. It's for do, the kids. Do the impression. Do, do, the ever, impression, do the impression. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how how many how many turf grass textbooks can we sit, stick in a stripper's ass crack? I think. Gotta be four or five. It depends on which club we're at. If we're if we're at the Emerald <laughs> Club by my house, it's a it's a solid ten. Uh, I think I think <laughs> we gotta go where I think we gotta go where Aaron Gillespie is and go to the Fuzzy Hole. Over there in yeah, Kansas City. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if we can get one in there. There's a lot of meth running around that place. There's, you're dealing with toothpicks and yeah, right, back on topic here. Back on topic know. here. We could we could all put right. ten in the thigh gap. So, all right, let's talk agronomics here for yeah, a minute. Let's talk grass, just pure grass. No, no more clear stuff yeah. or anything like that. We we played that out. I love grass. What? what oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, shit. Let's just start. You know, like, what's your favorite? What's your favorite grass? Like, if I had to say, uh, I'm. In I'm a Bermuda grass all the way. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's playing Jane. He's, yeah. he's, a, he's a meat and potatoes guy. You hear that? Mm -hmm. Meat and potatoes I, don't have to, I can put whatever I want on it. I don't have to worry about anything. Literally. I'm just Quite literally. I can't, I can't kill it. I, nope. I haven't figured it out. Well, hold on. 
common Bermuda grass, uh, probably grow, goes uh, Myers zoysia, just good old. Um, last on the list, most definitely is St. Augustine. I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. And then, believe it or not, centipede is actually probably third on the list because I, centipedes, you know, if, if, if you figure it out, centipede is just simple. You know, you just let it let it roll. We were going it so like well until until we got there. <laughs> Speaking of, one second. Right back. Oh, yeah, can you can you tease that? By the way, tell them about uh, it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, you actually had me going because, like, my 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 grass tiers are are slightly skewed in that Bermuda first, yeah, then centipede, then Saint Augustine, Zoisha's last. Zoisha's Zoisha's absolute is a little last weird. On my... No, Zoisha is, it's not that it's weird. It's just that I consider Zoisha still very experimental for the United States at large. It's extremely experimental. I'm glad Centipede came okay. up. Yeah, but. What's with all the hate on Centipede? It... Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I think it's because. Let me just put it into a little perspective, Jason. The reason why I love centipede is because mm-hmm. that is the only grass I know of where the less you do to it, the better it performs. Okay? That's just how centipede is, where half a pound of nitrogen per year, no big deal. Uh, pH 5.5 five soil. No problem. Uh, high manganese soil, no, no big deal. High aluminum soil, no big deal. And here's where people get it all screwed up with centipede. They want to mow it high, and they want to feed the holy shit out of it. Yeah. Thank and you. And that's where it goes Thank wrong. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. No, because, because here's how... I've had good luck with centipede. Do you know what my head of cut is on centipede? Any uh, one inch is perfect to me, but what's your opinion? Five eighths to half. Damn, Ray. <laughs> yeah, Ray. Ray goes hard. You, you, if you when, you, when you look that, up extra in any any uh, uh, quasi meaning <laughs> of the word, you're going to see Ray's name to it. Just about every ad. Now, can I can I tell you what people do with centipede grass down here? I, can I make all of you cringe real quick? Yes. Yeah, it's already cringing. So, uh-huh. yeah, so so they start so they start out with um so we'll, we'll start like at a fall pre-emergent, all right, for POA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They'll go out with spectacle for mm-hmm. it, hurt, it hurts. <gasps> it hurts. Mm-hmm. It's great for POA, but centipede it's a little rough. So they got no, six ounce rays. Terrible in centipede. Yeah, mm-hmm. they'll come back around. They'll hit it. You ready for this? They'll hit it with prodiamine. Mm-hmm. Okay. <gasps> Most people yes. around here, it's a full pound of prodiamine at a split rate, half and half. Okay. Yes. And then <clears throat> you ready for what their, you ready for, for what their fertility program is on centipede down mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. Cover your ears, Ray. Urea and MOP. Yep. It hurts Holy my soul. Fifteen or fifteen. Right out the back of the of the Helena or Hale's truck or wherever, and yep. uh, yep. with with eight yep. percent iron oxide in it, fifteen or fifteen eight percent iron or whatever it is. I can't. Yeah, remember I've, the standard I've heard of that blend, yeah. but then do you know what's actually making me cringe, Jason? 
the as far as centipede you know as far as centipede goes i don't want to see anything other than simazine atrazine and tenacity as the poor herbicides i don't want to see spectacle on centipede and i sure as fudge don't want to see the full rate of prodiamine on centipede not going into winter. I, Ray, I can watch stolons, two foot stolons that are just laying on top of the ground. They can't even tag. They're they're floating. They're not. They're not even sticking down in the in the soil, right? And you know what's yeah. doing that? That six ounce spectacle. Six ounce spectacle is what I literally use when I need to create dirt. When I need an area to be dirt. I'll apply six ounce spectacle. It's dirt for six months. So, so <laughs> don't don't look. My affinity or, or lack thereof. First off, this hat came from the the Facebook group Centipede Lawn Care and Turf Sciences, and we are we are working on the logistics to do a special dedicated show with these guys. <laughs> um, they're awesome. Uh, they're all. Mostly psychopathic um, uh, masochists. Anyone that would uh, uh, know it willingly Holy grow centipede shit. has to be a masochist of of a high degree. Um, anyway, so we're working that out. We're going to have them on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I know how to kill centipede really well. I'm not very effective at growing it, and so it is. It is what it is. <laughs> and I, you know, I look forward to learning a lot in that one too. Um, and you know, like you talk about that program there. I mean, that's that's the old wives' tale that. Uh, even, even I walked in this again, I forget going to Augusta and being like entrenched with 50% of my market being centipede. And, uh, I've never grown centipede before. And, uh, I'd run across one, two, maybe five centipede lawns in my, in my life in, uh, uh, in Memphis and maybe, maybe one or two in, in Huntsville, uh, it didn't even see, I refused to go to the areas of Birmingham that had centipede. So I, that was off my plate. So I hadn't really done Now all of a sudden it makes up, you know, 50% of my market, literally every other lawn I'm selling is, is centipede. And I'm like, God almighty, man, what, what do I do? And, uh, and so this is one of those where I lean on my suppliers, right? Cause I know that at least they'll get me started in the right direction. And, uh, and then you realize that when you talk to your suppliers, that even when they come at you with a high degree of confidence that there's still a certain shakiness in their voice when they're saying it. And you're like, wait a second, he's not confident in what he's telling me. I can smell it from here. And so I really felt like I was thrown to the wolves on that. And, um, uh, and then of course, this is also coming out of a major ice storm that brought down 50% of the pine trees in the area that winter and, uh, and nothing, you know, I would say 50% of the, of the centipede lawns greened up too. And so it was, it was just, it was a constant losing battle. And I've made plenty of pendimethalin mistakes on it. Uh, you know, applying the, the zero, zero, uh, zero, zero five pendimethalin. Uh, oh, man. I, you, you, you name it, you name it. I have done it and it's embarrassing and it's terrible. And I've got the, the, the mental images and, uh, and the, and the sleepless nights worrying about it to, to, to live through. But, you know, the further I got along into it, and you know, after you kill enough of them, you kind of you kind of figure out at least what not to do, right? And then you can start putting together the pieces of what to do. It is what it is. But you kind of um, start learning, don't you, Matt? You kind of start yeah. learning, right? Yeah, and it's and basically I, you know, what 
whatever the supplier tells you tells you to do, tell them no firmly, yeah. firmly. Tell them no because uh, I remember having a conversation with a guy, you know, starting back in two thousand and seven on what to do and not to do on Centipede, and he was in the southeast as well, and we became good friends, and. He agreed with me. Don't do whatever the guys at Site One or whatever are telling you to throw on Centipede because you're going to kill it. Starting with that Southern Lawn special that's, what is that, 15015? Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. And next off is the pre emergent that you're able to use on Zoisha or Bermuda is fatal to Centipede. Okay, it'll kill it fast. And by the way, if you dislike St. Augustine, it's because St. Augustine has a similar reaction to that set of herbicides. High rates of prodiamine and high rates of spectacle are rapidly fatal to St. Augustine as well. So that might be. Why? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's I'll just... say the, the 15015 <laughs> mix, there, there's two at least in my area. Um, so mm. the we have a site one and then the chemical rep I go to now, which I absolutely love them. Uh, it's, I don't know, Matt, if you've ever heard of them from down, being down this way, uh, Triangle. Um, yeah. Triangle? Yeah. Who, who's yeah. your rep at Triangle? So, uh, so right now it's uh, it's Brian. He's the just like the head manager of where we're at now. But um, so down here at least there's two two different 15015s. Uh, site one is the one that carries the one with urea and MOP. But the one I'm using right now is pretty good. Um, it's a I think it's Nutrite is who makes it. Um, it's pretty simple. It's AMS SOP and just it's got a, a couple a, a little bit of micros in it. Not not a whole lot, but um i mean it's a good mix and it it does a pretty good job um but i think a lot of people get carried away they'll go out there and throw a pound of in on it you know and it just mm-hmm. it doesn't like it mm-hmm. well and i found too it, it'll look pretty good that first that first year you do it it'll take it and then the second year and the third year and the fourth year De- and consecutively it just decline keeps, keeps city close. right De- decline yeah it city just starts because... to even worse. yeah it, it just dies because uh like my go-to on centipede has always been thirteen zero forty-five plus chelated micronutrients. Yeah, that's been my that's when I go. And what I also know about centipede and a lot of other grasses is when fertilizing them, I'm not fertilizing them to make them greener. I'm fertilizing them only to promote growth as needed to fill in from damage or whatever it is not to make it greener i mean get that other grass now. yeah that, that's the thing about dealing with grass is remember you do not put down nitrogen for color you're putting down nitrogen to promote growth and fill in i mean that's the thing that a lot of people in the industry and even lay people get sideways. 
They're using nitrogen for color. And that gets them yeah. into worlds of trouble, especially when you're dealing with other grasses, because other grasses that the other grass that'll get you into big trouble with that is don't ever do that to zoysia. Where you're throwing down nitrogen to make that grass greener. Do not go there. <laughs> because that you'll you, see right? a, Yeah, you, you'll see a similar decline yep. process happen where it's okay for a little while and then you're wondering why is this lawn always getting diseased? Why is this lawn got an epic amount of thatch? Why am I having problems? And it all goes back to utilizing nitrogen to make zoysia greener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the people that go out, you know, and um, I'm sure there's scientific evidence to back this up, um, but at least in this area, um, mm -hmm. I mean, hell, it's probably like this all throughout the, the country, but um, I, at least I've noticed the later in the season with zoysia grass, uh, the more in that you put down on it, just the higher chances of that you're going to get fatal problems. enough a large patch in the fall. Um, problems, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, it, it seems like I've, the more in later in the fall is a direct correlation to large patch. Um, okay, because, like, what I... What I try to do or suggest to people is 45 to 60 days after, you know, before the zoysia slows down in growth due to, you know, the arrival of winter, 60 days before that is when that's the absolute last time you put down in and that in had better not be any slow release stuff. It should be one more for late summer and then it's time to put this to bed mm -hmm. right i mean because yeah i've seen it for myself where i've had people throw down uh something like a high nitrogen lawn fertilizer on their lawn in october or november and then i get the panic freaked out phone call how come my my zoysia sod is just checking out and turning brown in spots on me. And I ask them, oh, so when's the last time you, you fertilized and what did you use? And they tell me, and then, you know what I tell them, Jason? What? Get a bulldozer. You're done. <laughs> Get a bulldozer. That's it. Nothing, nothing extra about that. We was, uh, yeah, we're going to pull Let's get a D six in here and let's take care of this for you. Yeah, yeah, let's just take care of this one time, right? <laughs> it's it's ten forty five. Ask questions. What do you what do you what do you got? What do you want to know? You can ask me personal questions. You can ask us grass questions. Whatever you want. <laughs> so I got I got I have a little list. We can go rapid fire. I don't know how you want to do it. How you just um, shoot them the out question. there? We'll figure it out. Yeah. Hit okay. us. So, yes. <laughs> all right, this is for Matt. Um, last like two weeks, I've kind of gone uh, super in depth into iron sources, um, okay. specifically chelated iron sources like EDTA, EDDHA, uh, things like that. Give me the rundown because uh, I, I I can't really find a whole lot um, out there that is pertaining to turf grass. Give me the rundown, like just start. I don't care like how you do it. Just start spitting. Let me know. 
Okay, so uh, the three things anyone should consider when spraying iron is uh, iron sulfate. Um, uh, well, I, I'll 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 say two: uh, iron sulfate or some derivative of uh, a chelated iron. Right, and so the most popular ones that we're going to see out there is going to be a glucoheptanate. You're going to see an That's EDTA. The other one, yes. Uh, and then you're going to yeah. see an EDDHA, and those are all three different types of chelates that you run into. Now, you can get into complexes where you'll see ferrous sulfate and amino acids. Um, that is a, a complex. Uh, sometimes they'll call it a chelate. The chelate is rather mild, so it's difficult to say that. Um, in some more bizarre circles, you'll see like DPTA. Uh, you'll see glycinate um, uh, or... Uh, uh, yeah, I, we'll just stick to that. So typically what each of those chelates are going to do will influence the pH at which the iron will remain in solution, right? So actually dissolved. And the easiest thing to think about when I'm talking about dissolved is like if you take salt and dissolve it in water and the water is clear once it's fully dissolved, right? That means it went into solution. A suspension would be say you took like silica dioxide and you put it in water and you shook it up and the water's cloudy where it's suspended in the water, right? What's important is that because plants take up nutrients by drinking the water that it's dissolved in, right? So whether we apply urea, we rely on it to become dissolved and then the plant is able to take it up as it takes up water. Same thing with the, the relationship between microbial mineralization and water, right? You know, it, they're releasing little bits of ammonia that are you know, stable in, in soil and water and allows it to be taken up in the plant. Plants do not eat solids, right? Uh, if, if in order to get a solid into a plant, now we're talking about the nanoscale, and that's a whole different side subject. Okay. That being said, the different chelates will influence at what pH it will remain in solution, dissolved. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, uh, for instance, ferrous sulfate, the closer you get to a pH of, uh, a six, the faster, um, it is going to fall out of solution, right? So, um, typically like the thing to do, if you're going to be, uh, ferrous sulfate in and of itself is rather acidic when you dissolve it into water. Uh, and so typically that's enough to keep it in, in solution is just the acidity that comes from dissolving it in water. Um, sometimes you have to buffer your tank with an acid to maintain, uh, solubility and it's fine to spray that if you're applying it foliarly, right? So you want to make a foliar application, let it sit on the leaves until it's able to take up what it can, it can take up and then rinse it off the, the leaf blade. Right. And, but what you're limited to there is how much the plant can take up through the leaf, you know, and that's going to be balancing, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the salts between the outer Hell surface of yeah. the leaf and the inner surface of the leaf. And that's, you know, that's how that osmotic take up ends up occurring. Right. Um, so, uh, for, for foliar applications, hundred percent, you can do it with, with ferrous sulfate. Uh, it's great. If you want to get the rest of it that is not taken up through the leaf into the plant, chances are, if it's ferrous sulfate, it will oxidize quickly. And what I mean by oxidize is that it will no longer be a sulfate molecule. Therefore, it'll become a ferrous oxide, which is also known as rust. And that is a solid. Rust does not dissolve in water. 
You can put rust in water and shake it up and it will turn orange, right? But if you let it sit, you'll notice all that orange will settle to the bottom because it's, it's, it can become suspended in water, but it's not going to dissolve in water. Well, same thing. It comes into the soil. It, it turns into ferrous oxide because it's going to react with different things in the soil, whether it's, it's uh, phosphorus in the soil or carbonates in the soil or calcium in the soil. It becomes insoluble. At that point, you have to wait for the plant through root exudates to be able to get it into the plant. So it's going to be a real long, drawn-out process. And typically, if you're applying iron, you want a quick, immediate response, right? You're going to get it from what take, what's taken up in the leaf, but it's not going to be 100% efficient, right? Okay, now you're like, all right, so how do I uh, improve the efficiency? How is more of that iron I apply that doesn't make it to the leaf end up getting taken up by the root, right? Well, this is where chelates come into play. EDTA um, is, is going to protect that molecule to a little bit higher pH. It's going to protect your, ferrous, your, your ferric iron to a higher pH and keep it in solution at a higher pH. Here, is it like getting closer? Huh? Is it like, isn't it like six and a half? Yes, somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, you get up to six with, with sulfates, it's, you know, it's, it's going to start dropping out. You get up to six and a half, even seven with EDTA. Um, you know, it's, it's going to start dropping out. Um, and, but, from that time period, and in, in what you'll notice too is that chelate is actually going to delay a little bit of that time. So your soil pH maybe uh, we'll say you know six point six, so slightly out of the norm for it. But that conversion of you know a, a soluble iron, iron EDTA, into an insoluble iron, whatever it ends up reacting with, we'll say it's iron carbonate in this instance. Uh, that time period at which it moves over to it is going to be relatively slower compared to your ferrous sulfate that you applied. Therefore, you're still going to be able to get some root, to, uh, root uptake. Then we start moving into more complex chelates, uh, 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 stronger chelates, right? So like EDDHA. Now, all of a sudden, you're expanding that, uh, uh, that pH solution uh, all the way up to about 9, right? So if you have a soil pH that's 6.6 and you choose to apply uh, EDDHA iron, it's going to be protected for a really long time in your soil. Uh, and in, in fact, right, an extremely long time. And, uh, and so you have a greater opportunity for the majority of that iron you apply making its way into the plant, right? Uh, before it drops out of solution into a solid. Now, there's a couple things to keep in mind, right? And, uh, and I, I think it's important to go ahead and be transparent about all this. EDTA EDDHA are extremely long-lasting chelates. So the, the, the issue that can happen with it is that sometimes it can chelate things that you don't want it to chelate, right? So uh, now all of a sudden it may chelate lead and, or it may chelate arsenic. And all of a sudden that gets into the plant a little bit easier too, right? So, um, and that's not to say that you should never use it. It's just something that you could, Keep in the back of your mind that if you get a wild hair up your ass that, oh, I need to go spray EDTA iron every week, every seven days, you probably don't. You probably don't. You're probably going to end up causing more problems than you are uh, actually, you know, winning on the backside of that, right? Now, here's the other thing, too, and I, I want to I make this extremely clear, too, is that typically complexes and non-chelated forms of iron usually for the most part, 
are going to be faster to respond than your traditional chemical chelates like EDTA and EDDHA. And the reason why is going to have to do with the size of the molecule, right? And therefore, the, 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 the less complex the molecule, the more that can typically move through the leaf. And, uh, and so that's why you'll typically get a faster response from just a, a, an iron sulfate versus an EDTA iron. Uh, you're going to get less that moves through the leaf with EDTA iron, more that makes it up through the root. Therefore, you've got that time delay before you get the influence of the iron in terms of visual impact. Same with EDDHA, right? That is an iron three molecule. It's a ferric molecule. And the way you manufacture it is, is that you have to take ferrous sulfate and react it to a, uh, 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 an insoluble form. You can do it with potassium hydroxide. You can do it with, with, uh, with a chloride. Um, you know, ferric chloride is not going to be soluble. Uh, ferric oxide is not soluble. And then you have to use that chelate to bring it back into solution, right? And so uh, from a, a manufacturing standpoint, now you've got a, a, an iron-free molecule. So it's a larger molecule. Therefore, it's slightly more difficult to get into the plant through the leaf surface. So complexes with amino acids, Straight ferrous sulfate, you're going to get a faster visual response. Glucoheptanate is an iron three as well, um, but it is a very, very short-lived chelate, right? Um, and what I what I mean by that is that it's not a very strong chelate, so you can apply it for a very short period of time, half a day, whatever. Um, it will be available up to a pH of roughly nine as well, but relatively quickly that is going to oxidize as well too. Um, the byproduct of the degradation of that is that, you know, glucohetanate is a, is a, is a sugar, right? So um, in terms of uh, if, if there's any kind of concern of applying a, uh, a long lasting uh, chelate like EDTA or EDDHA, either that just be due to years and years of repetition, or, you know, you have like an issue with aluminum in your soil for whatever reason, and you learn that the hard way and you have to be careful with using EDTAs or EDDHAs, then you can go with a glucohetanate alternative if you need to use a chelated source. Um, if you don't need a chelated source because you're making a foliar application and, uh, and, and you know a two-week, three-week color response is good for you, then even save the money and just do a complex or straight ferrous sulfate as well too. Um, so I hope, hope that answers your, your question. Yeah, no, that, that's what Thank I wanted. Okay. That's what I wanted. Um, okay, well, I guess we'll, we'll bounce to the next one. No, no, we'll we're right. fine. We're good. Oh. Um, was, that, was that enough information? Ray, give me the, anything out? <laughs> I feel like I left a bunch I needed more. Give me, give needed, me, the, give me the rundown, Ray, on surfactants, because I, I sometimes find myself getting a little overwhelmed because I think this is something, and I'll just say this, I think this is something that not many people put a lot of emphasis on, um, is proper mm -hmm. surfactant Question. selection. Um, mm -hmm. I think people mm -hmm. just get wrapped up into the whole, well, I'm going to apply this herbicide or I'm going to apply this, um, X material. And then they wonder why it didn't work. Um, and so sometimes mm -hmm. I find myself getting a little confused on whether I, do I want to use an NIS or an organosilicon or a MSO. Uh, can you explain to me like in, in which, uh, where are those advantageous for, for what application, if sure. that makes any sense? Sure. I let me try to help. Uh, okay, first of all, understand that a non-ionic surfactant is essentially what we, is called a wetting and a spreading agent, right? 
So what that non-ionic surfactant does is it chemically reduces the surface tension of the water. So then when you're spraying over the turf and the, that droplet of spray hits the leaf, that droplet of spray, because of its reduced surface tension, has the ability to then spread out over and uniformly wet that leaf. That's what a non-ionic surfactant does, no more, no less. You mentioned organosilicone surfactants, right? Now, those act in a way similar to a non-ionic surfactant, except here's what silicone does to a spray solution. It literally makes the surface tension of that spray solution so low that your spray droplet on the, on the leaf then has the ability to spread out so thin that the drying on that is just like lightning fast. It, it's quick. However, Jason, here's where there's a problem in that, you know, for a lot of your herbicides, what the herbicide wants and needs is literally more time on that weed leaf wet because the mm -hmm. longer it stays wet on that weed leaf the more effectively that weed will absorb your your application and that takes me to another category of surfactant or adjuvant that you may have heard of called methylated seed oil mm -hmm. and methylated seed oil takes care of the wetting and spreading, but then methylated seed oil has another property because of the extremely high solvent power of methylated seed oil. Because do you know how methylated seed oil is even made? It's a um. neat process. It's a real neat process because methylated seed oil is made by reacting vegetable oil with methyl alcohol with a sodium hydroxide catalyst and what that does is that then alters the chemical properties of that vegetable oil such that now you have a, a material that's a very good solvent for organic compounds and when i say organic compounds i mean things like oh say you've got some quinclorac or say you've got some sulfonylurea herbicides for broadleaf weeds or, or nutsedge, then what literally will happen is that methylated seed oil will take that herbicide in your tank, partition it into the oil droplets, you know, emulsified in that tank, but then when you spray it on the weed, then that emulsified oil containing the herbicide then wets the leaf and because that methylated seed oil is also excellent solvent the waxy hard layer on on the leaf is then rapidly dissolved and penetrated through superior to that of a regular non-ionic surfactant in many cases and now so, i have a i have a I'm sorry. Yeah, go I'm ahead. Sorry. Yeah. 
I was just yeah. going to ask because um, I, I understand like with urea um, and ammonium sulfate, mm-hmm. like they're used as adjuvants and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. so it, is the reason behind that? I, and I've tried to research it, and I don't really get a real good answer. And the logic behind it is: so if I have like urea, um, some mm-hmm. something containing urea, like a urea fertilizer in my hopper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I notice like if it's really hot outside or it's humid, you, of course you go to dump it out or you go to get rid of it. The material leaves behind like a, a good bit of wetness. If there's water out of the air and Jason, that is a property to take advantage of. That's what I was going that, that, that Yeah, where, where I said a little bit earlier where to your advantage to make it so that you're your spray stays wet on that weed leaf as long as it can because yeah. for example say you've got some three-way going or else you've got some glyphosate going what happens if you added a tenth of a pound of n per thousand square foot in the form of urea to your spray mix and you apply it and then there's one more little property in that that foliarly available nitrogen then performs another function in that it tricks the weed because it's nitrogen. And so yeah, the weed will op- it, so it'll open it. It'll open up and try to take it in and whoops, small problem. There's herbicide in this too. Small problem. <laughs> so <laughs> You know, that's the, that, that's the purpose of urea. And the good thing about urea is that urea is neutral. Because I'm going to go into another, you know, additive that you may or may not have heard of, AMS, right? Ammonium sulfate. Mm-hmm. Now, ammonium sulfate performs a similar function, except ammonium sulfate in water is naturally mildly acidifying. So, yes. here's where that's beneficial. A lot of your fungicides, a lot of your insecticides, glyphosate, and three-way all benefit from being in a mildly acidic solution versus a, an alkaline solution because those chemicals are subject to various interactions with even the water in your spray tank, including reactions with the calcium in the water reactions with the other minerals in the water, and this other process called alkaline hydrolysis. And what alkaline hydrolysis is, is when, say your water pH is over 7, that herbicide, insecticide, or fungicide literally starts to change and degrade as a molecule in your spray tank. And in some cases, that reaction can happen such that by the time you get out to spray the lawn, whatever you mixed is trash. It's garbage. Because that alkaline hydrolysis just took apart your active ingredient and basically made it no longer an effective product. So, so yeah. that's where... I've, I've, had that, I've had that issue at, at our shop, like with our water. Um, mm-hmm. Our water pH is pretty acidic. Um, so like if I go out with, like for instance, like certainty... Um, or something, you know. Mm-hmm. I've I've had that issue before, where you know, okay, because just, because here's uh, the other, because here's the other problem. Conversely, 
Notice how I left out things like NSM and Certainty or Sedgehammer or Revolver when I'm talking about using AMS. And that is because... Isn't it sulfonylureas don't like low pH? They lose efficacy, they don't, right? They don't like pH under 7. That's right. They yeah. hate pH under 7. And so, in fact, I'm thinking what may have to happen to deal with acidic water, and in fact, the manufacturers sometimes recommend this, is that it may be necessary for you to add what's called ammonium hydroxide to your spray tank to get that water pH back up to 7. And Because when your water pH is back up to 7, then you're not dealing with this issue of acid hydrolysis and loss of solubility of your sulfonylurea herbicides because there's literally two bad things that happen to sulfonylureas in acidic water in that, number one, there's acid hydrolysis happening, and number two, these herbicides are very dependent on dissolving in the water that you're spraying with and then evenly coating and then penetrating, you know, your subject weeds. So if you're hydrolyzed and if you're not, you know, soluble in water, then I guess that's a less than effective application. And so likewise, I want to kind of talk about one more type of surfactant that I frequently use because I have the opposite problem in that my water pH coming out of my water supply is like 7.5. And there's a lot of insecticides, fungicides, herbicides, et cetera, that don't want pH 7.5 water. And so I use this product called LI700. And that is a non-ionic surfactant combined with an acidifying agent to where if I throw in a quart of that per 100 gallons, I can take my 7.5 pH water back down to 5.5. And so wow. my, my product stopped degrading. And in fact, I had a hard lesson one time because I was spraying for insects at a nursery, right? And I didn't use that acidifying surfactant and I was applying, I was applying orthene which is, you know, an organophosphate insecticide. However, the, the nursery owner calls me back and says, hey, Ray, the application you made might not have worked because the aphids are still alive. They didn't die. We're normally, we're seeing on aphids is, you know, dead. <laughs> like that. So, the problem was is that that alkaline water just trashed my application. So that's a lot to consider. And in fact, I think a useful tool is in addition to reading your labels, have a little $50 pH pen handy. It don't yep, cost I, that I much have- anymore. Yeah, and that's how you that's how you know about your shop water then. Mm-hmm. But 
And then you go look at your, your product labels, right? And they'll tell you, do not put this product into acidic solutions. Or likewise, some products say, avoid tank mixing with alkaline materials. And that's your sign as to what you got to do to ensure that your application is as effective as it can possibly be, right? So, but then here's the thing is that I know a lot of products will tell you use a non-ionic surfactant. And especially with the herbicides. And do you know why they're saying to do that? Uh, lesson, because, lesson burn, tip burn. Yeah. Well, less chance for total burn because, you see, here's what I notice in the industry. I have all of these monkeys. They take the jug of surfactant and they just go glug, glug. Okay? In the tank. Whereas I always understand a surfactant, you know, application as, okay, they're calling for so many ounces or so many quarts per hundred gallons. So I think they want me to measure that stuff, don't they? <laughs> or they suggest yeah. a a percentage within that spray solution, like one gallon per hundred gallon or half gallon per hundred gallon, whatever the case may be. And so they want you to measure because. Like, I catch a lot of hell because I tank mix products like Certainty or MSM with methylated seed oil. People give me a lot of hell about that. They say, oh, no, you're going to burn the hell out of the grass. What are you doing, Ray? It's like, no, I'm not. It's because I measure my surfactant. And I also use a little bit of sense, too, because... I think about what's my prevailing weather conditions. And I just told you it's almost 90 degrees most of the year here. So you know what that means for me? When I add something like methylated seed oil, I keep it at that half a gallon per 100-gallon concentration. I kind of keep it there. On the other hand, should I be blessed with being able to make that application in cooler weather? By all means, I crank that thing up to the full gallon per hundred. Send it, you know? But it's all about having some sense and being aware that your surfactant will affect how your product works. And that leads me to my next point. Did you know that some of my findings on Celsius and using Celsius literally became a white paper put out by Bayer? Explain. Yes. Yes, because uh, I was doing some beta testing with Celsius. And I told uh, back then the, the technical guy there was Lawrence Mudge. And I shared with him that I said, okay, I can use Celsius with half percent or one percent methylated seed oil. However, this tank mix must never be spot sprayed because you'll burn a hole in the turf. 
It has to be broadcast. Secondly, once it goes much over 90 degrees, if you do want to add a surfactant, it has to be non-ionic surfactant at no more than a quart per hundred gallons of solution, or else, again, you're going to burn holes in the turf. And, it, and of course, you don't spot spray that. And lo and behold, soon after I shared this, this became a white paper issued by Bayer. <laughs> Mr. Genius. Yeah. So, uh, any other, uh, you know, questions or, you know, pick, pick my brain regarding, you know, surfactants. You covered it really well. I mean, um, we, we, we went full circle on that. I mean, I started, I started my whole statement just off by, um, I, I feel like it, it's a important, um, piece mm -hmm. of any application and, and you came full circle around to that. So that was perfect. Um, thank yeah, you right I, 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 hope I, could help. I hope i could help i mean <laughs> <laughs> uh, you always help man you're, you're the man I, I, i'm gonna go full circle and we'll go or, and we'll go to ryan real quick um, oh, he's on the hot seat now <laughs> yeah yes we'll go to ryan um, <laughs> I'm, I'm as you know wilmington north carolina we have no cool season um it's just it's all warm seasons yeah, all warm season, C4 grasses. But um, quite the question for you, you know, I get a lot. Actually, last semester, um, and my I believe it was Turf 235, um, one of the essays I had to write um, was regarding sports turf. Um, mm -hmm. And it was picking a specific turf grass um, and why you would pick it. Um, and when I did it, I wasn't really – I know you're big into – Bermuda grass, and then I've I've heard a lot of things about uh, bluegrass and sports fields. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. ex explain the difference because I know where you where you're at in Ohio, you um you can grow either one. So, like, what would be the reason why you would want to? Well, <laughs> I know what you mean. Now. <laughs> you, can I, you can you can you, you can do it most years. This is the year what that would, I love um, Go ahead. I was going to say, why would why would you pick bluegrass over Bermuda grass, and then when would you pick pick Bermuda grass over bluegrass? If that makes any sense, like what would? Oh, that's a good. That's a great question. It's a great question. I mean, uh, for so for you, I was actually having a conversation today. Uh, granted, different level altogether, but Georgia Tech, you know, so even further south than you. Georgia Tech's baseball field is bluegrass, Kentucky bluegrass, mowed five-eighths of an inch, even in the summer. Right now, it's mowed five-eighths. So it's doable. I mean, yeah. you know, he probably, you know, I'm sure he gets uh, beat up. Chris down there probably gets beat up for growing that, and there's people saying, well, hey, why are you doing that? Just like there's people up here that are looking at Bermuda grass and saying, why are you doing that? So um, to your point, uh I got a whole like 20 minute video somewhere buried on my field source account. I got to see if I can find this and you, I'll send you a link to it and you can watch it. But, uh, I did this a long time ago, I think. Where's it oh, at? wait, Where's was it, it the case study video that you did? Jesus, how do you know this? I'm telling you, I've watched every video that you guys, the have. only people, oh. the only people that <laughs> watch that, uh, somebody in Bulgaria, cause they're our number one country. 
we're 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 like number six in Bulgaria, and uh, my mother. Those are the only two people that have watched this that, that video. Now, um, <laughs> yeah. so okay, to answer your question specifically, why would somebody choose Bermuda grass? In, in assuming we're talking about transition zone, I think it's yeah. a function of in sports turf seasonality of when you're using it. I also think it's a function of uh, what your growing seasons are typically like and what your resources to take care of that field are. Right, so. Let me explain a little bit. You know, at, at the highest levels, you've got fields now, and I think most places that we're doing this have switched out and just have gone um, one direction or the other. But like, for instance, the Eagles, right? The Eagles used to start out with a warm season grass, and then halfway through the season, they'd switch out, they'd do a full full resod and switch over to cool season grass for the back half of the year, right? Now, no high school's doing that. Very few, if any, colleges would consider doing something like that it just doesn't happen at that level right so when you go into a situation like that it becomes okay what are my expectations right so assuming that this is like a fall sport right i'm asking bluegrass essentially in in a transition zone to make it all the way through the most stressful part of the year and then have to be in prime shape for 10 12 13 14 15 weeks right depending on what the sports season looks like it's a tall order right especially if you have limited resources, time, you know, uh, budget, things like that to take care of it. So um, that's one of the reasons that we've gone in the direction of Bermuda grass in certain situations, not all. We've learned some things that maybe we've pushed it too far, and I'll talk about those in a second. But um, in those cases, I mean, uh, where somebody needs to be looking at, you know, all those weather conditions and factors that might influence a fungicide application, you know, when do we do it? which ai do we pick do we pick what's actually you know on our program that we were going to spray or do we need to switch to something else with bermuda grass i can take all that out of the equation i can just say i need you to mow it i need you to water it and i need you to fertilize it and if you do those three things all summer long and like tomorrow here it's going to be 92 degrees humid us ugly disgusting all the cool season i'm going to be shitting razor blades all day about i'm gonna look at those warm season fields and be like you're good. You're fine. Right. You're good. And yeah. <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be in a good position five, six weeks from now when fall sports start to be peaking. Right. I always, I, I like to joke Ray because, you know, he's in Hawaii and, you know, if you get a good swell, everybody stops what they're doing and goes out to the ocean. I always like and grown turf to, you know, it's like riding the wave, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to be at the bottom yep. of the wave. You're going to be in shore. You're going to have to get your bass back out on your board, paddle back out into the ocean at some point. Cause Ain't nobody staying at the top of the wave for the entire time. But, you know, if I look at that growth of that grass and if I look at the peak of that wave, right, I'm at the peak of the wave pretty much when we get to football season starting here, third week of August, something like that, right? Fourth week of August. And I can ride that wave in slowly into shore for the next 10, 12 weeks and be just fine, right? So uh, that's one aspect of it. When we have spring play fields, totally different story. Uh, you know, we've had a couple of fields that we've done that have spring and fall sports. Uh, it is a challenge because the one thing that, uh, what we've learned here in the Northern reaches of the transition zone is that winter kill is not so much of a thing as with, with the cold tolerant newer Bermuda grasses that, you know, have been bred specifically to be used in cold areas. It's not winter kill that's getting us. It is uh, the yo-yo effect of temperatures in the springtime. So where we have a few days, three, four days in a row that might get up. Yeah, to, using up that carbohydrate 70. storage, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it saps you out. So you go through two, three cycles of that, and you're going to have some grass that does not come back. Like, just gone. Bye-bye. doesn't exist anymore. Um, and when you have to overseed, too, you know, so we've got a few fields that we don't overseed at all. And, you know, we're very cautious on how we use those in the springtime especially in colder times, wetter times, things like that, where they could be prone to injury, things like that. But by and large, those perform fine. It's just you have to be able to tolerate what they look like, especially in the spring, a little bit in the fall. You know, there's some things we can do to manipulate, uh, you know, do like, you know, uh, basically removing dew in different ways, whether through the chemical or cultural practices, right, to get that off of there and prevent frost from forming on the plant, right, when we're in frost conditions. All that being said, uh, I think, you know, what we see here, bluegrasses are also doing well too. Uh, it just takes a, 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 a little bit higher touch of knowing what you're doing and getting yourself, guiding yourself through that summertime. And I go back and forth. I, I argue with people within my own company, even every day of like, is this the right choice? Is that the right choice? Even on fields that are, that are in and active and everything like that. And uh, I always say, Hey, there's probably going to be, two out of ten every 10 summers that one of those choices is going to make you look like an asshole right now bermuda grass has made us look like assholes for the most part this year especially ones that we oversee or that we're trying to go through transition because transition here is awful because we just can't get hot enough for the self-familiarities to work really really well really really quickly and then we've got a really short window with which to grow that bermuda grass back and that that can be uh, challenging if you don't get the temperatures, heat, sun, all that kind of stuff. So uh, there is no silver bullet. I think that's the thing. Uh, Ray has heard me say this before, says Matt, is that uh, whenever we, we talk to clients about grass choice, species selection, things like that, the thing I'll always say is which three months on year? Oh, no, not that one. No, I asked I ask yeah. a different question. I say, which three months of the year can you tolerate your grass looking like complete shit? <laughs> tell me those three months and i'll tell you which grass mm-hmm. we're gonna grow right <laughs> actually um, a really good point yeah no i mean it's uh yeah. in in it's all about setting those expectations everything like that but um i don't know i mean uh the the first one that we did was in response not so much that hey i was like hey we we should try bermuda grass and i was jazzed to sell that as a solution you know, we went down the flow chart, just like I asked you all those questions. I didn't just come in there and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. I asked a whole bunch of questions and made them say everything that I wanted to know answers to, some of which I knew the answers already. Others I didn't, but I wanted to have them say it so everybody in the room could hear it. And then we worked our way down to, uh, you only have the summer. There's never anything in the summer in this field. We have to play spring sports. So your renovation window is from May 15th to uh, August 15th and we can't spend more than X number of dollars. And I can tell you that threshold is well below what it would cost to sod it with cool season grass. So Bermuda grass, it was, and off we went. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know that there's a wrong choice. I don't know that there's ever a wrong choice from a species selection unless, you know, uh, you, you have site implications that affect it, that are going to make it a loser from the start. But I think that's one of the, the the things that's crucial, and I'll send you a bunch of uh, I'll send you a whole bunch of videos uh, that I use in in classes I teach and things like that uh, that would be helpful and species selection things you don't really find in textbooks and things like that. So I go on all night, but 
uh yeah uh you can't make a wrong choice uh unless you're just doing something stupid and trying to put a plant that's not in the right place that's what i was going to say because uh i have a little test plot at our at, at the place i work at at our shop um it's about 1500 square feet and um <laughs> Ohio State. Get out of here with that Buckeyes crap, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these, these, these guys up north are just, they're broken. They don't understand. What do you say, Matt? Go balls? That's right. <laughs> um, but no, I, anyway. I, I kind of, I wanted to, uh, I want to, I want to see if I can grow some bluegrass. Um, so that's why I, I was, I was a little curious. So but yeah, that's how I'm If you, I, if you do in your area, it's going to be brutal, but, um, uh i know uh, who who is it uh wiley is growing hgt in uh, california in some blazing heat i know they've done at, at ut uh they've done a, a lot of the barvet barenberg hgt uh here varying degrees of success um the newer ones the 365 ss from mountain view i, I have no i know nothing about bluegrass so take everything i say with a grain of salt Just, <laughs> I mean, all i can talk about is what i've observed um kbg and what Ryan, about, is uh is the 365 supposed to be fairly heat tolerant too i, I don't know i don't know the 365 it's 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 okay on heat tolerance i mean i think that uh that's just the risk you run i mean in wilmington i guess that would be i i always look at pivots right so like here for example okay if i'm if i'm considering bermuda grass okay well if we have a summer like we do right now what's the pivot if we don't fully fill in or whatever well it's not the best thing agronomically, but if I need to have that, you know, if let's just say it's a field, not a lawn playing, like I can do an early overseed and is it the best thing for the Bermuda? No, but am I going to have a field to play on? That's a solid Bermuda base. And it's got some ryegrass in there. That's a little bit more dense in some spots. Yeah. I can make that work. Now you say the same thing for, uh, Wilmington and bluegrass, right? I might go through two or three weeks in the summer where it is like all out hell on that Bermuda yeah, grass. But this week. Come, come September. I'll I I can push it with fert. I might have to overseed a little bit. I mean, you can get bl- bluegrass to move pretty damn quick if you need to if you have the right growing conditions. And I think that's one thing um, that is probably undersold a little bit is you know if you need to if you need to push it, you can push it. Bluegrass will move uh, pretty rapidly. I'll say that. Yeah, I got a guy down the street from me. Um, he was on here like two years ago. I have not seen him since. And Matt, you maybe know from the, uh, maybe remember this name from um, the weekly lawn and garden show. His name is Lord of Junk. That was his username. Um, he lives like two, like two streets down from me, and he's growing bluegrass in his front yard. I think it's bluegrass. Um, I mean, and it's. It looks awesome. He's like the only guy in town that I know um, that's doing it. But, yeah, he I mean, he's doing it awesome. very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably got hey, a pretty pretty good fungicide program more, going. But Yeah. One more factor now, Jason. How, mo- how low is he mowing it? Mm, that's a good question. Not to be weird. Is- not to be weird. Lord of Junk, if you're listening, I'm not stalking you. I rode past his house mm. today. And it looks pretty high. Nice. He's not cutting. Uh, which is smart in my opinion, but um, it looks like about taller than three inches, at least higher than three inches. Earmuffs, Ray. 
earmuffs. Whoa. Well, well, so it's Ray because he's not had a lot of rain this week, so um, well, I think he's trying see, to let it go because I don't, I don't think he has irrigation. You see, because the thing that I've observed over the years too is that higher cut grass seems to be okay in places where there's a definitive lack of water. Okay, it works. But the moment you get into either abundance of water, regular irrigation, or high humidity, that's when I start to think hard about my height of cut. Because I've seen it for myself where people come to Hawaii, for example, and they try to treat the zoisha like, the turf-type tall fescues that they had back in the States. Oh, boy! You know? Yeah. They then get to meet Large Patch and Pisium. Yes. So, you know, I, I just start to think now, what are the conditions that you're keeping that grass in specifically? Because that's why... I'm always cringing when somebody's on YouTube or whatever, or somebody's on Facebook or whatever, telling people that they have the one size fits all solution to turf grass, you know, that you can do this or you're supposed to do this. And Hey, everything's all fantastic. Water deep and infrequent, mow high, you know, do all that stuff. and then. Everything is supposed to be great. It's like, uh, no, <laughs> not really. Yeah. That, 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 yeah, that's the other thing. As I would say, some things you have to figure out for yourself, and there's a lot of information out there that's just out there. I, I think finding what works and what doesn't, and understanding—I would say this—understanding predictability in turf grass systems respecting that it doesn't it's not always predictable but understanding predictability and what things influence and what don't and being able to going way back to the beginning of this focus on what's important and don't worry about what's not those are really really crucial skills really crucial skills to being a good turf grass manager so and sometimes you're gonna fuck up and just the way it is <laughs> so <laughs> don't, don't beat yourself up too bad Mm-hmm. It's worth it to kill grass. Yeah, it's worth it. You, you, even when it happens accidentally, I mean, it's, it's, you, you learn from it, and uh, you know, there's, it's a, it's a humbling experience to remind you that you know we're just a cog in the wheel and uh, along for the ride. Because sometimes you'll do something that you're 100 percent sure that uh, this would be all right, and that one time it isn't. No, uh, that's weird. <laughs> damn it. I feel that, I, I'll say this real quick. I uh, I killed a lady um, here what? in town. It was like, no, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Killed a lady's yard. Jesus. Um, <laughs> oh, man. I was, was going to oh, say, wow. we should uh, we should go out more often. That didn't sound right. <laughs> I, had, uh, I, I had only been working. I'd only been doing this. It was like 2020. I'd only been doing this for like three, four months at the time. Um, and um, I remember my old boss, he came to me, he was like, Hey, can you go spray these ladies' beds? Um, so I did. I mean, why why would I not be doing it? So um 
<laughs> I mixed up. Well, they already had it mixed up. I think it was just at the time. I don't remember. I think it was uh, Clive Satan Dyquat is all it was. But um, went out. I was spraying her beds, and you know, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. So I blanket sprayed the beds. You know, I didn't hit any of the plants, but um, yeah, I didn't have the nozzle set up correctly. So I shot about a good foot out of the beds around every single garden bed in the whole yard. Um, and that was a, Whoa. man, that was a fun time. Um, I had to go back and re redefine all the beds uh, about a foot around all of them got the whole yard. And of course this wasn't just a normal landscape with beds around the perimeter of the house. I had nice garden beds in the front yard and, uh, crepe myrtles that were inside it was a it was a bad time but um luckily that's about the sure. worst it's it's gotten i've not killed a whole a neighbor i've not killed a whole neighborhood yet so i guess that's positive yeah when you sit the kill lady though it was it was wow I, not yet surprise not motherfucker yet. <laughs> <laughs> about as bad as that mall santa joke yeah <laughs> Oh, where Ray go? Ray's drifting in and out. Ray got dumped. Yeah. There he is. Ray got dumped. I'm back. What other questions yeah. you got? Um, that I, I won't keep you guys too long. I that it's 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 late. I don't want to keep firing stuff at you guys. Well, I I enjoyed this one more. A lot. I think, one more. Yeah, do it. One more. All right. One, 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 one more. I want I want to say something. If you got one more, we'll do one more. Uh, let me think. One more. One more. One. Um, hmm. I had, see, I had them all written, wrote down and we, we went through them. Well, um, all right, that's good. I think. <laughs> Give me a topic. We'll, I, I'll just ask a question based off the topic. Uh, hmm. what problem do you run into in the field right now that just has you, uh, banging your head against the wall most often? Banging my head against the wall. Okay, let's go. Okay, we'll go with uh Okay, this is a good one. We'll go with the the zoysia grass for some reason um on some of the properties that I'm 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 treating. Um I cannot for the life of me, I cannot get there's two places in particular, very large neighborhoods. I can't get them to green up for for anything. They no matter what I apply to them, um no matter what nitrogen source, no matter what micronutrient foliar package i apply it doesn't matter it i can't get them to green up um and it's bothering me real bad all right let me um, let me ask you this are they growing yeah um they're growing but they're not growing like zoysia grass should grow when it's 90 degrees outside you Let's need to check them for uh nematodes yep okay yeah that was one of the things and... i had thought of and there's one more thing that I would look at too is I'd also look at your soil pH because what I've seen in zoysia is that at some point when the pH gets too low, that zoysia just gets stunted and no matter how much nitrogen you throw at it, it always looks like crap. And then if it's non-responsive to micronutrients, that's kind of like my next, you know, warning sign as well, yeah? Is that yeah. how come this guy, even though it's 
fed and what have you, and I'm putting down my, my iron and my manganese and what have you, even though the soil looks bad, where's my soil pH at? And you know what's your handy-dandy pH pen? Did you know that you can run your own rapid soil pH tests? Hmm. I tried you know it can before, do but I didn't like it. Well, because the way I do mine is I get some distilled water or deionized water, and then I make by weight like a couple ounces of soil, a couple ounces of water, shake that thing up, you know, get it all in suspension, let it settle for a half an hour so that all the mud and whatever falls to the bottom. And then I pH pin that resulting, you know, clearish solution. That's my soil pH. Okay. And that I'll is good. That and that's good to know. Uh, but, but as far as if you suspect nematodes, Here's my other sign that will make me suspect nematodes. And I saw this for myself where, you know, if grass looks wilted, crispy, burnt, you know, almost dead. But then mm -hmm. I grab the customer's water hose and I start sprinkling the hot spot. If that grass starts coming back right before my eyes as I'm watering it. I run back to the truck and I get the Xteris because that turf has nematodes. That's it. And then the other sign that I look for is if I'm in a lawn and the only weed that person has is prostrate spurge and the prostrate spurge seems a bit aggressive. Again, I plan on first treating for the, the broadleaf weeds, obviously, but then Xteris. Xteris okay. for sure. Okay. And the reason why I say Xteris is Xteris has an SDHI fungicide in it known as fluopyrem mm -hmm. that apparently is extremely toxic to various species of nematodes that damage turf. And the, and the price of entry for Xteris is a lot better than that standalone product that Bayer marketed specifically for... Indemnify, yeah. Because uh, you saw the price tag on that stuff. Uh, and I've sprayed it before and it, it's, it's scary. Yeah, agency price, it is $1,600 for that 17-ounce bottle. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know about that. But yeah, It should come with a bottle of lube when you buy it. Huh. Uh, more like it should, it should come with a nice nurse to help ease the pain. My God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that's brutal. But then you can buy... Oh. Exteris, and if you apply the label rate of Exteris, that is equivalent to the label rate of Indemnify. Okay. Okay? <laughs> and 
There's one more little note about this whole nematode issue. My other clue regarding nematodes is how bad is the Pythium blight and the large patch in that Zoysia turf every year? How bad does it get? And the reason um, why I asked. Not, not too bad. Not, at least not this year. Granted, it's okay. the first year I've been on these properties. So, Okay. And the reason why I ask is because I've noticed that in turf areas that have a nematode issue, the large patch gets rather severe. And when I see severe, it's to the point where I have turf loss, even though I've kept that turf on the standard of care fungicide programs for large patch. But then none of those fungicide programs address nematodes. So yeah, that, that's like kind of my clue as to something's not right. That's a, yeah, that's a lot of good information, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, you know, what, what else do you uh, need to know about Zoisha other than the fact that I don't think that grass should be in the United States? There he goes. There he goes. Uh, we're yeah, we're a, gonna wrap it up. Um, Jason, uh, sh yeah. shoot me a, an email with your uh, with your mailing address, and we're gonna put together a little uh, fun little care package for you and get that sent over. <laughs> um, and uh, again, like we said last year, um, you know, we have a spot for you at uh, at our at our Thirsty Thursday meetup, and uh, you do not have to be 21 to go to it and uh mm -hmm. so don't don't worry nope. about that we we own the place we run the place um and mm -hmm. uh and they let me tell you everybody that's in attendance is so awesome that when we show up there everyone that works there is like god i wish these people would stay all the time uh, <laughs> because we, it's a it's a literal party for everyone the people that work there I guess we're all we're all service professionals, right? And so we take care of other service providers, and it's it's just an all around we're, unbelievable time. We're good to everybody, you know. We're such yep. good, good. We're good. We're good people, and you know what? We're not like cheapskates or whatever because we know what it's like when a cheapskate demands better or more from us because you know we don't like that. So when we walk into a place, it's like okay, everybody tips and uh you know orders orders drinks orders food and uh lots of compliments sweet. to the waitresses and and uh yeah we're just extra we're just extra sweet time. to the servers yeah we're just extra yeah. sweet to the servers because after all you know on their end they don't quite know what to make of a group of 50 lawn people rolling in on them okay they don't know what what the heck to make of that that's like <laughs> invasion <laughs> and like i said you want me to talk to your boss or your family or whoever oh, we're good this means. year we'll, we'll do that okay perfect i got a great uh, then, uh, i got a great boss that listens you know i don't have one mm. now that tells me that y'all are fake you know fake good what good. <laughs> Uh, we're fake. And uh, maybe we're fake. maybe maybe that old one. I don't know. Maybe maybe we need to take a trip to Wilmington and uh, kick kick in the door and a uh, Kool Aid man is he, he yeah. yeah, he needs. Uh, with that said, time. 
<laughs> thank you everybody for hanging out uh sunday uh we're gonna have a good time and uh we'll see you then bye